Good evening and welcome back to another episode of Please Call Me Crazy, brought to you by Free People Radio, powered by our favorite sponsor, TireGit.com. That's TireGit.com. You have to buy tires from somebody, you might as well buy them from us. Help fund the movement, help support the movement. We believe in the freedom of movement, and that's exactly what the establishment wants to take from you now. I am your host, Royce White, here in the belly of the beast, Minneapolis, Minnesota. For episode 125, we have another incredible family and friends guest episode today. Back in studio with us is none other than the great Professor Penn. Today, I want to go right into the war. But before we do that, thanks for being back with us. We appreciate it as always. It's great to be here. And uh, it's just fantastic to be participating in the creation of this community. I'm in the live chats and I'm with you in the live chats and I'm seeing people really are participating and they're, they're contributing. And what we really want them to do is change politics in America. That's what free people radio is about. And, uh, we have plenty of motivation to work on it because, uh, our ass is on the line now, isn't it? Absolutely. Starting off right there, our ass being on the line, you know, We got ourselves in a good old-fashioned Mexican standoff here. You call it a Gordian knot, definitely a Gordian knot, but it's it's more like a standoff, and it's really hard for me to it's really hard for me to keep my arms around what's going on here. Partly because I see the danger in front of us, but the danger over the horizon. And so, you know, let's just spend as much time as we can flushing this out as much as we can for the record, because who knows if we go to nuclear war tomorrow? I get, I mean, it really is right about there. And the, the crazy part about it is it, it seems like it's right about there, but at the same time, it doesn't, right? And, and that's kind of the, the, uh, the, the mysterious sort of uncertain place that we find ourselves in. Steve Bannon calls it the fog of war, the law of uncertain outcomes. I just call it the good old-fashioned double cross, triple cross, quadruple cross. Nobody knows what's really going on anymore, and there's probably some intentionality to that at the supernatural level, right? That's more of a, a tool of Satan is to sow confusion, and we certainly have a lot of that going on right now. Um, where I've left it off in my podcast is, yes, historically speaking, we're defending the stability, the, the, the security of, of the Europeans and, and our European alliance. But you could also say a number of countries there in, the, in, the, in Southeast Asia who have really become a, an extension of, of America being a Pacific power, which we are. We're not really an Atlantic power. We're more of a Pacific power. We're Atlantic ideological brotherhood. Um, but, but our trade deal with, uh, our trade deals and, and, and our military relationship with, with Europe provides very little strategic benefit and economic benefit. If you really look at the, the split and I think Donald Trump was great to, uh, to at least challenge the the fundamentals of our NATO deal when he was in office with our NATO um, split, you know, given 4% GDP, uh, 4% of our GDP, when the other countries give one, 2% and you know, they, they, and they have weak militaries that in the end we have to front for what I said last week. And, and we talked about it a little bit over the phone was this, this reverse vassal empire that we have and what justifies having a reverse vassal empire. And, you know, usually smaller country pays the empire 
for our protection. We pay countries to be able to bring our military to their country through NATO or more explicit means. And, And then that gives us a justification to inflate our own military and defense budget and then siphon off money from it, but but also turn over our inventory and things like that. So then when you're in that kind of a, a, a global economic slash military mentality, format, framework, business model, it becomes very hard to understand which wars are genuine and which ones aren't. Now here I start, I think we're starting to get a little more clear look at, at what, what's going on with this particular conflict, and I want your opinion, but so far as I see it, I've I've been saying since day one, since the attack on October 7th, it's America first. That's a simple policy approach. It's it's long overdue that we be America first in our foreign policy. This neocon intervention, this, you know, empire, defend the empire, being a war everywhere all over the world is, is ridiculous. It's not tenable. It has us vulnerable. It's got the dollar. On you know a very shaky ground, unstable ground is the whole thing is is not really tenable. Everybody has huge questions about what happened on October seventh, and rightfully so. Right, that's just there are huge questions looming over the entire situation. We know there was an atrocity. We know people were killed, but the security state and the intelligence community of our own nation, but but other cooperating nations around the world, including the counterintelligence operations of the Islamic world or the Russians or the Chinese are so profound, so sophisticated, it becomes hard to know who's playing who in anything that pops off around the world. Um, however, and, I, and I, obviously I got into a big spat with my good friend Jason Whitlock, who you, you know a lot about that, that situation or you've been hearing about it at least, and, and Mark Levin's name came up and other neocons who – you know, just scream unlimited aid for Israel. And, and there um, are also a lot of people who want to now couple the aid for Israel with the aid for the Ukraine. And I think Mike Johnson at least did a decent job of trying to bifurcate the two. I mean, at least had the balls to do that, which is a step in the right direction. We're not going to let you guys clump every single foreign policy war or, or conflict or, or agenda or whatever you want to call it in with one. So I'm, I'm hypercritical. I'm watching the situation. Now there's, I have a new, I have a new sort of opinion about this. And it's not that we should, we should get involved in a forever war. Um, it's, it's not that we should, uh, give unlimited aid to any country, but we really have to decide now where we're headed as a, as a country, and in that decision-making process, um, there are fatal errors that we can make now. I mean, we're in that type of a dynamic with, with, with where we've come from, how we've set the game, how we've set the stage, or how the stage has been set, how the game has been set. We can make fatal errors in here if we pull too far in one direction. And as you know, you, it's kind of like, uh, uh, you know, you, you take a nail out of a, piece of wood you know you pull that nail out too too hard you strip that that wood right you something you got to ease ease on out of there uh <laughs> in some respects and i say that because you know like i'm hawking the israel thing and just on general premise i think this entire neocon deal with israel is 
is the woke right version of the woke left's excuse and justification for globalism. I just I just see it that way, right? There, if there's a uniparty, it's always military in the end. And, and if it's military for us the last 60 years, it's always involving Israel. And, and I understand it a little bit better from a different perspective, but it's not the perspective that they'll tell you. It's, it's, it's watered down. It's, it's a crisis of trusting the American people with the real information, with transparency about our position in the world. And I don't mean to ramble on a rant, but I'm trying to help frame this up the right way because I don't, I don't have an answer here. I don't claim to have an answer. I know what some bad answers look like. I, I mean, I, I can see what the danger is, um, but I don't have a definitive answer on how to get out of this. I think it's going to take a lot of, you know, little steps with one leader or leadership that has an end goal in mind and that this variety of steps, some may be successful, some may fail, get us to that end destination of where we want to be. The decision we're making is where do we want to be? What does that look like at the end? But I had a thought today. First time I've had this thought in the last couple of weeks. Somebody's playing both sides of this deal. And we're on every side of the trade in Israel. We know that from an economic standpoint. We got business relationships with the Saudis. We're sending money to Iran. We got business with the Qataris. We got business there with, with, uh, with, with Egypt. You know, We got business in the region. Business is a booming. Well, we're in economic decline, but still the, the, the relationships are flying. They're all, in, they're all in motion. But I had this thought today. The reason why, a, a, good, a good argument for why we can't pull out of any of these regions, especially Israel, is because they do have nuclear weapons. And if we pull out and let the Muslim Arab world take over, wouldn't we be handing over all of the weapons that we gave to Israel over the last 60 years? That just came to me today. I mean, it was a genuine on it. And that's not to affirm Mark Levin or these guys' position because they're making the argument on a, whole, on, a t on a completely different basis. I mean, they're making the argument on a more cultural, sort of political. It's not military-based in its, in its spirit. And it, it doesn't come off that way. Like, when you listen to it, it doesn't sound like a, a sane, logical, sort of just strategic military explanation of what's going on here. But that is a very good uh, argument for why the advancement of technology and the advancement of you know weapons of mass destruction, real weapons of mass destruction, nuclear weapons, the advancement of these things have made it such that we now have to defend these positions out of fear and distrust that our enemies could come there, take those things that we've provided to that area, like Afghanistan, you know, like Afghanistan, and then they actually could be a, a transatlantic threat to the United States in a military way. So, I mean, I, I just throw that out there to start the conversation. I hope that wasn't too long-winded for anybody, but we're, tonight, tonight I really want to just bounce the thing back and forth. Like, let's just, for the record, let's just put everything out there that we know to this point, facts on the ground. I have my opinions. I'm sure you have yours. People out there have theirs. But let's just be brave enough to actually open-mindedly think about what's going on, what's been said, what could happen, what should happen, what do we want, right? Because I, I don't think anybody would want the Jews. I mean, I know there's some people out there who want the Jews to be killed. And this is honestly what made me think that over the last couple of days. 
Because before I didn't really believe that Islam, that the Islamic nations were, were so ideologically aligned. You know, because I look at what's happened in the past in, in, in the Middle East and I think, well, if they were going to rise up, why didn't they do it already? Because they've surely had enough excuse to do it at any number of points in the last 60 years, right? Um, and then I think to myself, well, I thought to myself, I still don't trust that any of these Arab or Muslim leaders are actually in alignment with the people in their country based on Islamic faith. They may be fronting and using that the same way the neocons will wrap themselves in the religious right. But I don't really think that Erdogan is, is uh, a diehard, devout Muslim or that any of his political ambitions are based in his Muslim faith. Nor do I think that about MBS or the Ayatollah. And everybody would go, well, the Ayatollah, you know, the Iranians, they're radical fundamentalists. And I say, hey, I'm not even buying that. I, I think people's human nature usually comes to the forefront before their ideological and faith um, submissions. But that being said, the narrative, the narrative is mounting in a serious West versus East, anti-West, anti-colonial. The West has always suppressed brown people or other people all over the world. And when I hear Erdogan say, it's East versus West. And then when I hear Iran say it's East versus West and I watch the Saudis sit back and kind of toe the line, even though the petrodollar is like the linchpin of the entire monetary system worldwide, I really start to feel like the, the, the Muslim thing is much more at play than, than people may want to give it credit. Right? And, and I'm not saying that that's a, about the Muslim faith, but what I am saying is Whoever's pulling those strings, whoever's using it, you can feel it bubbling up. I mean, you can hear now this anti-West deal. I'm sorry, I've been talking too long. Go ahead. I'm just throwing stuff out there to get I, us started. I very much appreciate listening. And um, you've put so much grist in the mill. I'd walk it back past the neocons. Mm -hmm. We're dealing with a tension or a pushback for the first time in a very long since it was established. It's the post-World War II Democrat liberal order. We really don't know what things mean until they start to go. You, know, you don't know what something you don't know what something's worth until you lose it. Mm. And uh, I'm for for good or for real. And uh, the establishment of this so-called Democrat liberal order. The word liberal means something. I was looking, and we talked about it on the Professor Penn podcast Thursday night. Uh, I was reading the Israeli Declaration of Independence, which, you know, it's like we have our Declaration of Independence, and we, we talked about certain unalienable rights. Our forefathers talked about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, rights granted to us by God. Mm. It's interesting, in the Democrat liberal order, there are certain human rights, uh, liberal concepts of equality and fraternity and rights for women, and the, uh, the uh, Independence Declaration of Israel clearly supports 
the Democrat liberal order. And it speaks very directly, asking the United Nations for support, pledging allegiance to the United Nations. Mm-hmm. It is a, a summary of and an endorsement of an ideology, and it is an anti-God ideology. Israel itself, at that time in 48, had very few religious people. It was mostly a socialist, Marxist um, polity. Commonwealth. Well, it was just part, you know, it was set mm-hmm. up by England, and it was really not about religion. It was really about Zionism, and that's completely separate than being Jewish. Now, the idea of Zionism and Judaism has become conflated by intentionality, by propaganda. But the religious Jewish people view Zionism with a great deal of disdain, and they reject it as an ideology because it's an anti-God, uh, Democrat, liberal order ideology. They, the, the religious of the Jews, mm. they're very serious about their faith. The orthodoxy. The orthodox. And I think that their doppelganger or their related similar people are the people of Islam that also seriously believe in Allah. They believe in God. So this sense you have that there is a a fundamentalism bubbling up, uh, I agree with you. And I've been to Turkey many times, and I will tell you that, you know, when you're in the hotel and, you know, morning prayers come and you hear that, hey, you know, you don't hear those morning prayers in downtown Minneapolis or in New York. Maybe you do now, but Traditionally, for my generation, we didn't have the, the call to prayer as something we heard, and you hear it every morning there. Mm. So there is, if you look at, for example, Turkey, which uh, Ataturk, who created, Kamal Ataturk, who created the modern Turkish state as a Democrat liberal order creation, removing Turkey from its Islamic past and making it secular, Erdogan certainly represents a retrograde, if you believe it as retrograde, or a return to, or a, a counter-revolutionary movement. Bringing to a more the, religious. Um, um, d- without a question of a doubt. So whatever his personal. The brand is that we're going back towards an Islamic state. They, not going, they're there. I've been mm-hmm. there and the. But not on paper, not, not by law there in Turkey. Well, he's done a lot of things to actually make it by law. Okay, right. So they, has, right. they've moved the polity of the Turks back towards an Islamic orientation. And if you look at the whole region as it came out of World War II, influenced by the Marxists, influenced by the Nazis, influenced by the West, Iraq, the Ba'athist party in Iraq was a secular Marxist party. Egypt was run by Marxists. Got, you know, Nasser was a more of a Marxist socialist. Right. Uh, there were many of these countries that became secularized. They, like the Zionists, rejected the traditional. And then you have like the Muslim Brotherhood or the Orthodox Jews. There's been this movement back towards faith. And here we sit, really, as Americans, kind of confused about who these people are and what they think because we're not in that headspace. So, so, so you're saying that a lot of these Islamic nations were in, influenced by Marxism, and there were a lot of secular Marxist waves that that 
turn them from being Islamic to a more secular state, secular states, Turkey, Iraq, all these places. And now they're having a return to Islam or a more uh, caliphate pursuing sort of ideology in, in, the, in their political sphere. But they still come from many of them growing up in, in a sort of uh, ac- academic or educational culture that, that was rooted in Marxism. Like, are you saying that these people, are these, does Erdogan reject the, are, are you saying that Erdogan in this new chapter of Islam, although branding it as a holy war or a, a, a holy sort of religious rege, uh, rebellion against the West, actually still has a lot of their academic and philosophical principles rooted in Marxism that previously held the day in, the, in much of the Arab and Muslim world? From an economic perspective, yes. But if you, if you roll back the, the window of, of analysis to the 50s, because this East-West thing, back in that time, it was the Soviet Union. And these Islamic states aligned with the Russians we call it the Soviet Union. They aligned with the Russians against the West. They're against the British. That was the British that scrambled these eggs. Mm-hmm. It was the British that defeated the Ottoman Turks. It was the British that redrew the map of the entire Middle East. Mm-hmm. It was the British that created Israel. And then what did we do after World War II? We took over the empire. Mm-hmm. So, of course, now the hatred's coming on us as Americans, and we're kind of victims of this Atlanticist ideolo- ideology that you were just referring to that really has not got anything to do with the essential history of what America was founded to be. We got divorced from those people. Yes, somehow, I, 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 somehow they <laughs> got back in our well, head, it didn't it they? Somehow, is how for John McKinder is the somehow. Right. Is, is, you know, this is defending the, the world island theory. It, this is the reverse. They're reversing Halford John McKinder's world island theory. It's a reverse. Of the, and, and we I talk about this history all the time on my show with us adopting, uh, taking over the, the colonial empire from a geopolitical standpoint after World War Two. So the audience is familiar with it. And although we may reject that history let's deal with the now how how, and i'm not putting you on the spot i'm just saying let's let's brainstorm this what do we do from here i mean how can we i mean we've come so far we're so far out over our skis in this atlanticist booby trap i think it was a booby trap to start but hey that's just me i'm you know a little crazy uh at least in a supernatural way it certainly would seem that the result is a booby trap kind of deal but where do we go from here now? I mean, once we crossed the threshold with atomic bombs and nuclear weapons, once we started to industrialize nuclear weapons and we started to use nuclear weapons as the, as the, um, the cudgel for compliance, yeah, the, 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 the deterrent quote unquote, the deterrent for world war. And then we put those weapons there and that technology spread. How can, I mean, it's, it's almost as though we were, um, it's almost as though we were trapped into having defend, having to defend the empire after we were already in through science and the advancement of technology. Because like I asked earlier, how can we sensibly from a military standpoint 
And look, if we have to stay in Israel and we have to fight, look, if we have to go to, let, let's just cut to the straight to the chase here, the, the punchline. If we have to fight the Islamic world because in some strange circumstance and unfolding of history, they think that the West must die and that America is included in that, then we're going to have to fight that war. The question is where and when do we fight it? How do we fight it? I mean, all those things have to be answered. And I damn sure don't trust the same security state, the same intelligence community that, that went after Donald Trump, that wants to suppress conservative voices, that wants to demonize America first as a domestic terrorist sort of uh, worldview. I certainly don't feel comfortable with them making those choices behind closed doors and just, uh, 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 you know, blindly believing that they have it all ironed out or that they would even make the right choices. And I think that is the, that is the underpinning of the neocon, right? The neocon is like, hey, us Republicans could disagree with government, big government, leftists, Democrats, when they get into government, Joe Biden's administration. But if we have to go to war, trust these people. If we have to go to war, trust their intelligence, trust their, their viewing of history. And I tell the American people, like John F. Kennedy did, don't trust these people. Don't trust their viewing of history. Don't trust how they tell us the narrative. Demand answers. Demand them to explain to you what the path is, because it's just as likely that we could get drawn way out in deep waters and people who are very anti-American from within our own country could, could collapse us by some military effort that is not properly in, in, uh, drawn out, vetted, or, or uh, you know, looked over by the American people, by we the people. Well, when we the people are disengaged, then we kind of leave it to the people in the closed rooms with the cigars and the no windows and that's that's where we're at. Now, it's not just the military industrial complex. This is really emanating from our universities. That's why there's so much tension now at the universities. Kind of bubbling up the anti-colonialist, anti-Jewish, anti-western sediment that has come to dominate so much of our premier institutions of higher learning. And, you know, it's interesting. Um, there's always unintended consequences. This is fracturing the Democrat Party. It's busting it like an egg mm -hmm. because it all worked along here real well for a while. And now Israel has become a dividing line in the left. It's fracturing the left. It's driving a centrist leftism, uniparty leftism, and it's isolating a real leftist, anti-American group. Well, my gosh, this is, we've been here before many times in world history. So the killings and the assassinations are getting ready to start because the left is becoming isolated. No, well, we're just as, is we're, we're just as isolated on our side too. I mean, I think, you know, the Uniparty is, is isolating both of us. And, and what makes that dangerous is because we're, we are so ideologically opposed to one another on a fundamental belief basis around things like abortion and LGBTQ and race would be one of them that's thrown in the, the you know, the, the hodgepodge of, of division between the, the far left and the far right, as the Washington Post so often likes to depict it, that there, there, there's no real chance of us coming together to fight off the Uniparty. That's a problem, isn't it? That is a problem. That's why we got to get down to the real issue at the base, which is this so-called Democrat liberal order. That's what's being defended. That's why we're going to war. And okay, what, but wait. Now, again, I'm sorry. 
it's not really the, the the far left isn't really that isolated in the deal, right? Because at at bottom they're lurking there. No, but all, at bottom, all three of these factions, if you take the political spectrum and you break it into four chunks, you got the populist movement on the right, you got the populist movement on the left, which includes the far left and the progressives and the, you know, whoever. And in the far right, you got MAGA, you got the America Firsters, you got, you know, even the, the fringe sort of Ron DeSantis, you know, halfway in, halfway out. Uh, not really knowing That's which way is you. up. That's right, yeah. Very yeah. kind of you. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning to be a little bit more political these days. Yeah, yes, <laughs> <laughs> political, right? <laughs> um, and then you got the establishment Republicans. And then you got, okay, let, let, for lack of a better term, you got the neocons and the neoliberals. Perfect. Okay. You got populism, populism, neocons, neoliberals. All three of these factions are really anti-American in their spirit. I don't believe for one second that the neocon, I look at the neocon just like the Marxists. You're not black. You're not white. You're not male, female. You're not, you're not gay uh, 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 or, or, um, or, or straight or secular. You're a neocon because neocon is a radical materialist sort of ideology just like Marxism. And the Marxists, whether they're Chinese, whether they're Arab, whether they're European, whether they're black, white, whether they're old, it doesn't matter. They're all, Marxists. They're Marxists. Yes, I agree with you. Okay, all three of these factions. Mark Levin, you're a Marxist. Yeah, all Mark the, Levin. Let's give a shout out to Mark Levin, the Marxist. And w- what a surprise. Look at his background. Look who he is. Now, you can be a Marxist and not realize you're a Marxist. If you're 100% focused, is on the materiality of the people, you're, you're a Marxist. That's it. Perfect. So I agree, I agree with you that these groups, but this is why we have such a daunting task, those of us that want to live, because these crazies will kill everybody because of the law of unintended consequences. You start, start talking about what we have to, and I think this is insightful, but I would say it a little bit differently. Mm. We don't have to worry about the Muslims, the Muslim horde, running into Israel and getting those 2,000 nuclear weapons. That's not going to happen. Israel's going to use those nuclear weapons. That's why we're there. As soon as we withdraw, using your predicate, when we withdraw and leave them alone, they're outnumbered and they're not getting resupplied and they're going to just use those weapons. We've got the same thing. Well, Mark Levin, you know, in fairness, that's what Mark Levin said. That's what Sean Hannity said. And, and, you know, they said it in a way that... Tricky, a little tricky. A little tricky. A little, tricky. a little more threatening little, than it was right. than it was revelatory. A veiled threat. <laughs> Fill in the blanks for yourself. Right. It, it, wasn't a, it wasn't a, hey, this is what's going to happen. It was more like, you better do what we think we should do or else this is certainly, we're going to do this. Oh, Hannity was fantastic. Hannity had um, Mike Johnson. Mm-hmm. Mike Johnson. Mm-hmm. You know, I'll never forget Mike Johnson's name. Nobody knew who he was, but as soon as it came up, I said, Mike Johnson, I had a friend who died whose name was Mike Johnson. I thought to myself, isn't that strange? Because that guy was so religious, and he was a really good friend of mine. He was a Mormon, and he died. He lived in uh, Utah, out there where they were popping up those nuclear bombs, testing them. And when he was a very young man in his 30s, he got cancer and died. And I thought at that time mm. he had a radiation-induced cancer. And as soon as Mike Johnson comes, I'm never going to forget this guy's name. So he was, he was interviewed by Hannity, 
And Hannity goes, I've known Bibi Netanyahu for 30 years. And yeah. uh, I can assure you that if things don't go right, he'll do whatever he has to to protect the Jewish people. And I thought, you know that, just say it. They're going to Okay, use- well, let's get down to it then. I mean, and then this, I said it two weeks ago. I called it. People can say it's crazy. They, they, can, they can say whatever they want to say. If we're just going to go to war with the entire Islamic world, here's the deal. And I think you're, I think you're, you know, your, your um, intuition about it is, is correct. I mean, we can look at the result. I just hate when people lie to the American public. I, I don't like that the neocons or the security state or the intelligence community think so poorly of the American people that they always have to lie in order to, in order to uh, preface whatever corrupt military thing that we're going to do or any military thing we're going to do, whether it's corrupt or not. It's just like there's this, there's this, you know, cultural norm that the American people can't handle the truth. And, and yes, it may be true in some cases that the American people would poorly handle the truth, but it leaves the door open when you have a culture of, of dishonesty. And we saw the Marxists take advantage of that over the course of the last 50, 60 years, is, is when, you, when the neocons and the conservatives resort to immoral constraints on the American public to forward their political agenda or to, to you know, do what they feel they need to do. The Marxists, they come in and say, look, they're lying. There's incongruence. There's contradiction. There's, there's all these things now that we can use as a grievance to undermine and erode the country writ large. And here we are. Okay, if we're going to war with them, and, and look, I, I have tried my best, just like the great Donald Trump did, to say, peace. Abraham Accords, you know, MBS, Netanyahu, you know, all these, come on in, sit down, you know, let's, let's just think about it. And, you know, he's sort of, he's sort of you know, Don-like with that, you know. It's much more, it's much better for us all to make money and live in peace, right? I mean, that's much better, isn't it? Right, and, and everybody for a moment there when Donald J. Trump was in office, which bodes very well for him going into this election cycle when we're in the middle of a world war, who could broker a peace? Who could actually do a deal? He claims he can. Well, he he was he was on the verge of and, one before. And the reason why he can, or is maybe, or uh, he wants peace. Or maybe that's the difference. Or maybe, maybe he can. Or maybe they're ramping up their rhetoric because they're afraid of him getting back in, and they don't. And they, they you know. These people, when, when Donald Trump said these people are smart, it was one of the most inciting. He had the courage to say that, and the left went after him, and, and the neocons went after him, and everybody went after him. It was one of the most insightful and honest things that a president said in the last 20 years. These people are smart. And if the Chinese are back there behind it, or if the Russians are back there behind it, these people are autocrats. These people are dictators. Xi, Putin, dictators. I mean, they're in it for life. Erdogan. Erdogan. MBS. These people are dictators. They can wait out a four-year cycle, right? They're trying to hit, they're trying to hit and go right now in case Donald Trump gets back in. And that's a cautionary tale for the security state. If we're really going to be neocon, put the guy in there who they're afraid of, right? If you're going to rig elections on the basis of national security, put the guy in there that they're afraid of. 
I mean, even loosely. I don't, I don't, but, but let me get back to what I'm saying. I know the CIA is listening. You know, they always, they're, they're, they're in the live chat. They're, they're hawking Bannon like crazy. So I guess I'm, 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 I'm next up down the totem pole, right? Uh, which is a scary, time will scary come. proposition. Yeah, it will. And, and we're going to, God willing. God willing. In, inshallah. Inshallah, right. Um, but, Okay, if we're going to war with the Muslims, we're going to war with the Muslims. Okay. I've tried to I've tried to say peaceful things, but when I listen to the rhetoric and I see all these Islamic states saying death to the West, I start to go, I'm not worried about them coming to America. They want to cross the big blue and tangle with 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 the red, white, and blue. All of us Americans, we live with a little sort of sense of cowboy in us. You know, it's just kind of ingrained as we're gunslingers, right? If you want to cross we were for a long time. Now we're putting trans, now we're putting trans, uh, the, you know, trans in the army, in the Marines. I don't know what's going on there. That still fringe though. There's some, there's some real killers in there. Let, let's not be mistaken, right? There's, you got the guys who do makeup and they do their little transition videos of being a, a soldier. And then all of a sudden they're a, a, a clown, but you got your people who free climb the side of, of a mountain just for fun. Okay, a little bit of cowboy. So they want to cross the big blue ocean, bring it on. But those nuclear weapons are there in Israel, right? And, and they are in other places in Europe. And they are. So when I start hearing death to the West, how can, how can, we, how can we get out of just going to all-out war now? And then I start to think to myself, wait a second, Royce. Is it really them who is going to go, or is it us? And that's what I think you're saying about Israel and them being the ones who were actually there to stop from using the nukes. Because if the Muslim world or Russia, China, really wanted to go to nuclear, if they wanted to, if they wanted to go, they would have went already. What are they waiting for? There's no, there's no. The only thing you could possibly say they're waiting for is that our own elites decline the nation enough to where we surrender willfully on paper at an international summit like the United Nations. See, that's the Chinese type play. They want to they want to bring us into a, a a belief, an acceptance of bankruptcy, of insolvency, of of uh, an inability to keep up with the technology. The Chinese are surpassing us, and you start to create this doubt and this belief that ooh, we're not the superpower anymore. That's what the mainstream media is doing, right? China is rising. You know, China's surpassing, right? That's kind of what they're playing at. And what, you know, they're trying to, like, create a willful white flag from the American people and the American government at, at some point in time. Because if not, why wouldn't they just go? If, they, if it's really ideological based, if it's really a, a pure hatred for the West on, on, on based on solely on ideology, Faith, religion in this case with the, with the Muslims and the Arabs, what are they waiting for? Why didn't they just bomb Israel? They're all still waiting, which tells me double cross, triple cross. Nobody really wants to go, which is a good thing. That means we have time. If nobody really wants, you know, Erdogan can say what he wants. He doesn't really want to go. They're just woofing. Everybody's just talking. Well, it's a great crisis for people to use for their own domestic issues. Turkey, for example, has an inflation rate that exceeds 100%. They have a very large influx of Syrian refugees that, you know, on an Islamic basis, Erdogan, 
Erdogan brought these Syrian refugees into Turkey. I'm talking about millions of people. Because Syria is a failed state. He has big domestic problems. Big. Other countries, Egypt, they're in an election cycle there. El Sisi there is a Western sycophant. He's got the Islamic Brotherhood all around him. He might not make it. The Egyptians have an interesting way of handling leaders that uh, get out over their skis. They generally kill them mm. or they imprison them. Mubarak for one, Sadat for another. These are different kinds of political organizations. Now, what we tend to do in America, because we're Democrat liberal order masters, is we are taught and we teach our children and our friends that these are inferior forms of governance. Really? Are they really inferior? I mean, how can we tell? I'm looking at our form of governance. It seems not to be working too well these days. Or maybe it's working really well can't tell we're in the middle of it. Like, I'm looking at all this um, drama that's going on in the House. Was, oh, they're extremists. No, I mean, it's politics. It's working really well. The national uh, movement or the America First movement is making progress that a year ago would have been unthinkable. So I think we need to get beyond personality and start to talk about ideas. What is this America First movement what is its goals vis-a-vis these issues? And mm-hmm. I think we really need to define that and start to develop some congruency because there's plenty of people that say they're America first and they want to support the military, for example. And I'm not one of those people. I think America first means we deconstruct our empire. I don't know that even you agree with me about that. It's something that's, it's a good starting point place to talk. No, I don't. I don't agree with it. I didn't think you, know, you did. And, and people will say, well, you're a neocon. Why are you going after Mark Levin? Because I don't like that. They, they, you know, they're the air of superiority that the American people can't take the truth is where the real problems begin. Right. And that there, that is the culture of American, uh, America's political elite and government, which includes the commentators and the talking heads is that America's people can't take the truth. Well, even in the event that they can't take the truth, it was intentionally done to them. You know, there's this systematic belief that had a lot to do with capitalism and industrialization that it's easier to have a populist that's dumb as a box of rocks because then they won't question you. Right? I mean, we've had CIA after CIA, you know, sort of uh, d- directors or, or whoever, you know, get that declass. We, we get those declassified documents or, or, you know, whistleblowers who say this is what the security state really thinks about the American populace. Better to have them dumb. They are dumb. We'll treat them like they're dumb, and it's better to have them dumb. Well, yeah, until, the time, until it's time to fight a world war, and you need the American people to have some real sense of national honor and civic duty, civic responsibility, in order to win a war. I mean, if a war showed up on our shores, right? I mean, you know, especially if you want to win a war over there for an idea that's 2,000 miles back home. What idea? Well, what idea? What idea? Well, the idea is about American citizenship. It's supposed to be. Well, you know, but I find us conflated with a bunch of British foreign policy aims. Right, but 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 yes, but in respectfully, I you know I I agree with that. But now let's get down to brass tack about the the advancement of technology and weaponry, which is something that is intentionally kept out of the purview of your average American citizen 
who goes to work a job, nine to five, maybe two jobs, a job and a half, to make ends meet, take their kid to school, bring their kid home, deals with the identity crisis that their, their new public school is now forcing down their kid's head, right? I mean, down their kid's throat in, in a non-sexual erotic way that sounds a little strange, but you know what I'm saying? They have no clue. They have no real clue about the, the, the arms race that's taking, taking place here on the global stage politically. They have no clue about that sort of scientific managerial elite thing that's going on behind the scenes. I mean, when I see those B-2 bombers flying, it becomes obvious there's a world and then there's the world behind the world. And Remember, MTG was roundly um, disparaged when she started talking about lasers from space. Right. And then now the Israelis are shooting down these rockets with lasers. With lasers, direct energy weapons. Direct energy weapons. I mean, mm-hmm. and it's not like they have a drum roll and they say, "Oh, we're going to roll out the energy weapons." Yeah. <laughs> they're they're just there. <laughs> well, what else are they going to pull out of their hat? Because right. we don't know. It's like the nuclear weapons of 1945. Right. I mean, the American public didn't know that there was the Manhattan Project, that it was the greatest mobilization of. Uh, money and uh, academics and world history to create this weapon. We don't know what weapon. That's kind of the fun of the war. That's the fun part because everyone's going to pull out whatever their weapon is and use it, and then we find out who's got the the best kit, right? I remember when the, uh, this is a funny story. Oh, it didn't, no, I'll say this. It's going to be different than last time. It always is. Well, but now it's going to be a lot different because... What globalism did, if nothing else, was it sort of uh, created a created a a very troublesome mixture in the pot with everybody trading everything, right? I mean, the Chinese are stealing from us. We're justifying it on our economic relationship and trade deal or supply chains, and the Russians are trading with the Chinese, and and we're you know sending stuff to Israel and. And the Saudis, but the Saudis may be in some Islamic trade with, the, I mean, nobody knows who's really on anybody's side. Before, when we fought this war, the technology, first of all, the technology was nowhere near where it is now. But also, the nations didn't really have the alliances that they've had post-World War II democratic liberal order. I mean, there wasn't this globalized military and technological sharing of information. Or this alleged, alleged sharing of information. I was watching on 60 Minutes a couple of weeks ago. They had the heads of the five eyes yeah. were on 60 Minutes, and they were there to talk about the theft of intellectual property by China. <laughs> you know, if there's... Well, get ready. China's going to use a weapon. Probably came from us. <laughs> they stole it from us. Well, you know, why would they be stealing if they had their own weapons? Maybe they're stealing from us because they're behind on this deal. I remember, and this is something people can look up, they're not going to believe it when I say this, but when the Germans attacked Poland in uh, 1941, or 1939, excuse me, I think it was September 1st, 1939. Mm -hmm. They had tanks, they had the Blitzkrieg, right? They had a new form of warfare. And they rolled out into Poland with these tanks, and the Polish attacked them on horseback. And that's a fact. So you have to give them props for bravery, they get an A for bravery and an F for intelligence because when you're rolling at tanks on horseback, you know, the outcome's quite predictable. And I think there's some of that that could go on here. And I think 
part of the pushback on Israel is their technology of war is sold. Ascendant in that part of the world, it's just unfair. There's an un, there, people see it as being unfair. And what does Hamas do? To, and what does Hezbollah do to even out and fight an asymmetrical war? They fight a war of terror. But what's more terrifying than to know that you're going against a tank on a horse? That's pretty terrifying, too. I mean, you have to be brave. Hey, we're men. Come on now. Let's go. And, you know, everybody dies. So there is a certain kind of an asymmetry to this war, which does not mean that the one that's using the asymmetrical warfare is the noble one. Well, it doesn't have to be noble or not. It can work. Asymmetry can work. It can be very successful. Look at how world opinion is changing. Look at this tremendous outpouring mm. of anti-Semitism because it's a little bit like the United States of America going to war with the Plains Indians. When that war started and you had a couple of shots in your rifle, the technology was pretty good. It was pretty close, right? When you got the Gatling gun, the war was over very quickly. Technology, the Industrial Revolution, overwhelmed the Plains Indians. And people will hear me talk like this, and I already know what the comments are going to say. Oh, man, Royce is softening his position on Israel. No, it's America first. But the question is, if there are things out there, if there's a military advancement, if there's a technological advancement out there that we're unaware of, if we don't have all the information, if we don't know what we're really up against, and I'm talking about the American people, right? Because there's the war between governments and, and leaders, but then there's the war of, of the consent of the people of that respective nation, right? And what they think about it, right? Um, because public approval is, about a war is going to most often affect the outcome of, of elections, right? I mean, it's one of the... It's one if of, there are elections. Well, that's a whole different deal. Let's get there. We'll get there. We got time. We'll get there. Um, We'll get there because well, some I, of these countries <laughs> don't have elections. There's no elections in China. Right. There's no elections in a lot we of have these. To, but I mean, for us, it's, for us, it's a big deal, right? Public approval is a big deal, which is part of the reason I think that the security state and the intelligence community has gone out of its way to disinform the American people because public approval does have such a huge impact on on elections. So if we can manufacture the consensus, then we can control the elections. Okay, so let's go along this manufacturing the consensus. There's clearly no consensus about Israel. It's become a deeply polarizing dividing line in the country. It's like you got a little bit like the Ukraine, but take it up a notch. Mm -hmm. And I want to say relative to the Ukraine, Putin didn't take the, if you want to go conspiratorial, that this is all about collapsing, which I know many of the viewers and listeners are familiar with the idea that this is really about collapsing civilization as we know it. And you say, okay, the West started this war with the Russians. I'm, I know people disagree about that. I'm of the opinion, knowing the history, that it's my opinion that the West, that would be the United States and the CIA and the British, started the war with Russia. Russians are very clear about it. Going back to when? Uh, the Great Game or World War II? The Great Game. I think the Ru I'm trying to remember the years. It was are you eight. saying, are you, sir, are you, sir, saying 
that the British Empire set the Nazi war machine off on Russia and then it got out of control and kicked back on them? I am not saying that. Oh, okay. However. Just being clear. However. However. <laughs> the leadership- a lot of Germans up there in the House of Windsor. That's where I was headed. There was a, Hitler did not want to go to war with the British. He believed the British were brothers of the spear. He got mad because they were being punks and helping him fight a war against. The communists. That's right. And actually, Winston Churchill agreed with them. George Patton agreed with them. There were a lot of people that, you know, there was a senator, Senator McCarran. It used to be McCarran Airport in Las Vegas. Now it's Harry Reid Airport. I've been to Vegas many times in McCarran, my life. McCarran Airport. McCarran International. Senator McCarran, a Catholic Democrat senator, senator who actually said in the well of the Senate, you know, Nazism and communism are both bad, but if I had to choose, I'd throw in, I'd throw in with the Nazis against the communists. So that, that kind of thinking's been out here for a long time. But, but certainly uh, the, the war in the Ukraine can be traced back to the early 1800s. The British fought a war with Russia, I think it was 1805. The Crimea War was 1852, which was the British again against the Russians, and that wasn't a small war because a half a million Russians died in 1852 in the Crimean War. Then after the Bolshevik Revolution at the time of World War I, Russia was occupied by foreign troops, including 13,000 American troops that were in Vladivostok. Then the Nazis invaded in 42. Then we had the Cold War. And now we've got this Ukraine war. And if you're going to believe that this war was started to possibly collapse or to create a nuclear event, clearly Putin, up till this day, has not taken the bait. And still, I saw Amy Klobuchar in Minnesota came out just within the last day or two with a tweet that said, Ukrainians are doing, our, they're just doing great. They're doing fantastic. We can't turn our backs on them now. Are they? Do you think they are? No, I think they're getting their asses kicked. I think that an entire generation of young Ukrainians have been killed, and I think there's 7 million young Ukrainians that ran out of the country. You know, if there's that much spirit. I mean, we had our war resistors in the Vietnam War. Mm -hmm. A handful of them went to Canada. We didn't get 7 million people going to Canada. The Ukrainians have suffered grievous losses. Tremendous resources have gone in there. And what's happened is nothing's happened. They're fighting to a stalemate. Is it really a stalemate? Or is Putin just saying, I went into this to take control of the Donbass. If I could have gotten away with taking the whole country, I would have. I couldn't do it. I got what I want. And I'm not looking to create a nuclear war. You think that's where he's at? Well, I'd like to, th going back to our letter to Putin, if you remember that one, I mean, I think he actually is very strategically trying to not trigger the next phase of this thing. I think he wants, I think he wants a settlement. And clearly they've been asking for a peace conference. In fact, it was getting so peaceful and close to the end that, oh, we got a new war. Out of nowhere. In fact, the story that the Israelis are being told is that their senior intelligence officials had advised Benjamin Netanyahu that Hamas was interested in a deal. That's the story they're fencing around. That campfire. Now we have a whole new conflagration. What's next? Kashmir? Taiwan? Well, it's hard to say. It is. 
it's hard to say what's next. Those those three, South Korea, North Korea. I talked. Always to, watch the the what is it? The what parallel is it? Thirty. I don't know what it is. Thirty eighth parallel. Thirty eighth parallel. I think it's the thirty eighth parallel. Always watch the thirty eighth parallel. Right, that's what they say. The uh, the uh, the Chinese are interested in this. Okay, and I want to just share this with people because I have more connectivity with China than most Americans because I've been there so many times. I have a lot of Chinese uh, contact. And I'm just going to say, in my opinion, from dealing with the Chinese people as people, like dealing with American people as people, not at the level of the boardroom or the the, uh, political backroom, just the people. These people have been so poor for so long Chinese people believe that war happens when people have nothing. When people have something, why would they want to have a war? And the Chinese people are having a good time. It's the first time in a long time in their memory where their culture has economic sufficiency to support the entire population. There's no hunger. Everybody's buying cars. Life is good there. I am told that the Chinese people do not want to go to war, to not listen to the propaganda. I don't know. That could be a diversion. Bullshit. Could be bullshit. That's right. Yeah, I think it's bullshit. I don't trust the Chinese far as I could throw them, number one. Definitely don't trust the Russians. I don't trust any of these people. Look, my my saying America first and not going into the war uh, or going into a forever war is because I don't hear any plans from these people on how we're going to win. Let me ask you a question. Mm-hmm. This is a tough question. Let's start backwards as America first participants because we diverged when I said, I'd like to see the deconstruction of the empire. Mm -hmm. And the empire I want deconstructed is the United States shilling for Great Britain and maintaining all of their alliances. Uh, I forgot. I didn't answer that question. But the the, how can we? Well, who do we trust? I want to start right there. Even more basic than that. There are elements now out there on the board. There are pieces out there on the board that we can't just sacrifice. That's what the rise of technology and advanced technology has seemingly, per the narrative, put us in position to have to live up to, is protect. Unless, and the only thing that we could do is to fight these people back into a stalemate where, where they are, which is what everybody's saying about, you know, fighting Israel, is we're going to fight these people. We're going to fight our enemies. Whoever has this anti-Western worldview we're going to fight all of our enemies to a stalemate or to defeat, which we can't defeat them because, number one, their populations outbreed and outnumber ours in great number. We could, technologically, we may be more superior. Maybe we're not. I mean, I don't know. We're sending a ton of equipment and things to, to the Ukraine. The Ukraine can't seem to, you know, take back Crimea. I mean, so where are we going to push them to? I mean, what's the fallback? Where, where is far back enough? Right. I mean, I don't know that. And that's what I'm trying to say. Yes. If, you know, nuclear weapons, whether they're in Brussels, whether they're in, you know, Paris, whether it's France or or wherever it is in Europe, if it's Israel, hell, even Saudi Arabia is in danger of becoming swallowed up by an anti-Western rise. Right. Because the from, from the street, from the street. Right. Okay. Egypt. Egypt what do you too? think that wall is about that they're building there? It looks like a giant prison to me. It looks like a giant prison, yeah. So how can we leave those places? How can we pull out of those places if our enemies then would potentially 
acquire our resources and technology. You know, this is something that I've been thinking about a lot. When you have aggrieved groups and you say, you know what, your grievance is 100% justified. How do you pull back? Because they're pissed and they want revenge. That's one issue that we have to start to think through as a world population. But in terms of the military-industrial complex and, and, and where we're at as a country, we're $34 trillion in debt. Mm-hmm. We can't afford this, and we're going to lose our lifestyles. So my question to the viewers and listeners is, are you willing to give up everything you have? That might be a lot. That's a scam, though. I mean, let's You talk, think so? Uh, of course it is. Why? Because the entire international money, <laughs> come on, it's a scam. The debt is a scam. Who holds the debt? The debt is a scam. The entire economy is based on... Yeah, they're debt holders, there are bonds, there are treasure, you know, their treasury that the whole, you know, we get it on paper, on paper. But the entire economy, any economy, any currency is based at least halfway on the faith and belief in that currency, in that system. There's a belief in this system with the rise of technology and, and the next industrial revolution, so widespread and so efficient from a material standpoint. There's a level of efficiency now growing out of this certain industrial revolution that everybody knows what the original scam was. Okay, slow down. Uh-huh. Slow, slow, okay. slow down. I, I want to get this right. Okay. I want to say back to what I think I'm hearing. Yeah. Just to clarify yeah. for myself, if it helps the viewers and listeners. Hey, great. Yeah. But I you wanna, know, I talk over people's heads. Since well, the I, word in the camp. I, you know, that's a strange word, isn't it? We've got to get, leave a little time for that because mm-hmm. I'm a witness. Mm-hmm. But, and let me just say this. I want to get this off my chest. Let's bookmark the debt. It's a great place to have an interlude. An interlude. Mm-hmm. Let's have a little interlude. I want to say this. I want to get it off my chest. No, don't do it. Come on. No, don't do it. Stay with the debt. We'll get there later. Don't even, I don't even want to divert to, to this right then now. Then I'm going to go back to the go debt. Go to the debt. Okay, all right. Let, let's, let's continue on with it. Okay. What I think I'm hearing you say is, modern monetary theory. You're saying that it's all a scam and it can just keep on playing along right? with no end. What I'm saying is if on paper the American economy has a, what, $130 trillion net worth and our elites are going to run up the national debt against that net worth, which could take another what? I mean, depends. At at this rate? Well, even at this rate, what? Yeah. We're at $33 trillion. Well, we still depends, have a, we still have we have a, a war. Depends how big depends the war on if yet. we have a war or, or a pandemic or, or something. Or whatever. Or, 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 you know, or aliens invade. I don't know. But if you work it with our GDP, we still have a working GDP. And I'm as big of a debt hawk as anybody. But I'm a debt hawk because I understand how the narrative is influential, right? What I'm afraid of is not that the dollar is actually going to collapse. What I'm afraid of is that they're going to collapse the dollar by cultural consensus. There's a difference in that. There's a difference in not being able to pay your debtors and then being, being told that you went bankrupt so that you give up your rights, right? So that, you know, it justifies the... the well, that's the game, right? 
that that's, is that is a part the, of the game. Right? That's a big part. Of right. The so game. what I'm saying is, again, if we if we just play play out the scenario, okay, we're 33 trillion dollars in debt. We can't afford the war. It's a lie. We can't afford the war. We can't afford the. We can't afford the war at what cost to the American people? Because someone's got to pay oh, the bill. No, no the, now that is an important point. That's the question I was asking <laughs> yes. the viewers and listeners. What are you willing to give up yes. to maintain the there empire? Right. To maintain the empire, and it seems like a lot because now the now identity it's it's re, no now it's reached to the, the level with nuclear proposition that if you're not willing to give up your you, life, you could get blown up. You're going to give up your entire life if you're not willing to give up. You know your 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 money, then you're going to surrender your Back life. Back to the beginning of the podcast, that's the Mexican standoff. Mexican right? standoff, but it's really between the government and the people, and maybe it's between all these governments and the and their people. I mean, you know, there's a part of me that thinks that the circumstance of this thing is so good. I don't know if everybody's not in on it at the high. You know, if, I if think the, that's the very, elites aren't in on. That's it. very interesting because um, now we're talking about the nature of governance in the schism that has developed between leadership and the lead. We have a quixotic kind of desire, and particularly in a representative democracy, that our leadership is there for our good. Mm-hmm. Now, in a dictatorship, China, for example, the Chinese people, there's a billion and a half of them. There's, you know, 30, 40 million people in the Communist Party. They could be very easily identified and hung from lampposts, and they will be, because that's how the Chinese run their deal. Every couple hundred years, the dynasty ends. We're in the Maoist dynasty right now, and it'll come to an end, and it'll come to an end because the leaders will be killed, and a new group will come in. That's how they do their deal. Sure. But, or their leaders will kill the 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 mutineers. The mutineers. Eh, it goes back and forth, but at the end, the Maoist dynasty will end. And what the Chinese believe is that the George Washington dynasty is going to end. And there is some truth to that. But my point being in China, their consent, the consent of the governed, because they're purely materialist, that as long as their material life is improving, they really don't care what the government does. Mm. That's the deal. And I think we've made the same kind of deal here in the United States of America. That is a fundamental degradation of what it was to be an American. Because our country was founded not as an ethno-nationalist state. Dynasty. Dynasty. It was founded as on a set of ideas, mm-hmm. kind of actually kind of postmodern liberal ideas. Mm-hmm. And now all of a sudden we're acting pretty Marxist over here, aren't we? As long as we got a car and a phone and a place to hang our hat and some food, hey, we're good. Good. You want to you go do this or whatever? We don't, we don't even really want to be involved. And I'm noticing that, and I'm so hyper-involved. And I notice these people that are in my life, and they just they have no interest. They have no clue what's going on. They don't have a clue, and they don't want a clue. <laughs> don't share any of that with me. I had someone very close to me say, <laughs> the reason you see it this way is because you're Jewish. Oh. And I said, oh, why is that? Well, you know, you've had a genocide, and this, so you see everything very negative. I thought, wow, thank you very much. <laughs> Black people. Yes. <laughs> Not a good history. Yeah, Hebrew. Yeah. You know, maybe maybe there's no, maybe it just is going along. And what the same person said. You're just hey, a Debbie Downer because you're a Jew. 
And they said, hey, there he goes. You're just a victim. You're just a victim because you know you black people crazy, are victims. Dumb yeah. ass religious people in the Middle East are always fighting. It's not a big deal. Let them go. Let them go. They believe in God. Of course they're killing each other. They're primitives. And that was, you know, that's a Chinese person, and that's their belief that religion is the opiate of the masses. And look at what it produces. It produces tribalism. And who gives a shit? A couple little countries kill each other off. Who cares? Go! Hey, we'll sell you weapons. It's good for business. Go ahead. It's limited. They view it as limited in its impact because there's always been. And if you think about the Middle East, I was just listening to Netanyahu, 48, 52, 67, 73, 81. They fight there every five or six years. It's good for somebody's business. But isn't isn't that sort of a, a, a short-sightedness of, of history and not understanding how advanced the, the technology and weaponry is? I think they're depending on it being advanced in high technology. I think people still view this as a deterrence, that there's deterrence, and only the little people really fight. They're okay with proxy wars. How long do, peop- how long do, pe- do people think we could actually go on how long do people think we can go on, we can continue calling each other's bluff with nuclear weapons before somebody actually pop one, pops one off? It actually makes me, remember I told you, we, we, we <laughs> talked about nuclear weapons and I told you, I said, I think the nukes are fake. <laughs> this, is getting really, this is getting really out there now, controversial, but just think about it. I mean, as many crazies as are, as many, I mean, it either speaks so well for the temperament and restraint of mankind or the nukes are fake. <laughs> because what? You don't agree? I've heard it from other people. No, I, I, I mean, just think said, about it from a logical that, standpoint. But for my generation, my generation, mm-hmm. I mean, nu- the nuclear sword, the, it's like the sword of Damocles. Mm-hmm. Stop it at all. I'm all. not saying the nukes are fake. We dropped two atomic bombs. The proof of, of the carnage is there. But... Over the last 60 years, there has been this narrative-driven escalation of nuclear capability. Right? Did you see the... the uh... What I'm saying is that the nukes now are allegedly uh, 1,000 times more powerful than no, the no, ones no. we dropped in Japan. No, no, 25 times. They just had it in the newspaper. It was 25 times? 25 times. Okay. I mean, this is apropos to what you're saying. They're actually advertising, hey, those nukes weren't that big of a deal. When we drop Wait till you see things, these ones. We're going to pop this thing out. It's going to be a big deal. Right? So you, so up until now, is, there's either two explanations. Either the nuclear capability of nations is largely over-exaggerated, or people have been, mankind's self-interest to, to survive has surpassed our anger and our, you know, our, our impulsiveness or you know, w- you know, our knee-jerk reaction to, to be in conflict, which is actually a, a real symbol of hope. Which would be the core of the formation of the United Nations in the post-World War II Democrat liberal order. You know, I'm such a critic of the post-World War II Democrat liberal order, and I don't like Harari and because and I've read his stuff. And I'm watching Harari, and all of a sudden, he's seeming very rational out of nowhere. You know, like, for example, the Anti-Defamation League. These people suck. But when I read the anti-Semitism that's coming at me now because I identify as an American Jew, I'm thinking, oh, now I get it. These people are keeping the hatch batten down because if you give it a little space, whoo, look what pops up. <laughs> and so everything has two sides to it. Mm-hmm. And I think we have to 
really step back and just say one thing. I mean, I just want to say this. Are the American people becoming healthier, stronger, more loving, more industrious, more productive, more fulfilled? Or are the American people becoming dissipated, unhealthy, crazy, overweight? Yeah. Well, I mean, what's all this gun violence? Just for example. No, my, the, real, the real fear that people should have is not that the boomer generation, I mean, the, the boomer generation here and all around the world must be in on the same sort of, you know, silver lining that we're going to bluff each other. You know, you guys had a great Sinatra-like, you know, poker sort of, sort of a generation. <laughs> we respect the bluff. Everybody's going to bluff each other at the end. You know, we're going to get right up to the- we're going to keep doing business. We're going to get right up to the edge, but we're going to keep- We're, you know, we're going to keep doing business. Cooler heads will prevail. That's right. We're going to keep doing business. Do you think the younger generations will be that way well, with that, what we see? That was the idea by sending people off to Columbia and Harvard and Princeton because people are being educated. Our elites are being educated in the Atlanticist mindset, which is the use of nuclear weapons as a deterrent and the application of force to ensure the- continuation of the order, post-World War II Democrat liberal order. There's an order to things. And the Chinese and the Russians and the Iranians are challenging that order. And that order is based on economics. They're challenging it. So what does America do? It jumps up to get its proxies out there like the Ukrainian. I mean, to say that it's not the United States versus Russia it's ridiculous. Ridiculous, right? We're, and I don't you, like that. Just say we're going to war with Russia. We are at war with you, Russia. I mean, just say it. And we're at just war. Just say it. If you're going to do it, you know. So this is it. why there's some pushback on this thing, because the United States has gone to war with a bunch of people living in a reservation. What is Gaza? It's a reservation. It's like the White Earth Reservation. It's a reservation. And they're rolling in there with tanks. And I'm going to say this as a Jewish person. It looks bad when the U.S. military will roll into an Indian reservation and kill everybody. Mm-hmm. It looks bad. It just looks bad. But that's what's going on. And that's, what, that's why the, the Muslim world is crying foul. They're saying, hey, you people are all about peace and spreading out ban- bullshit. Don't tell us about your World Bank and your IMF and you're going to do this to help. You're killing people and you're exerting superior technological power on people who really can't fight back. And then when they fight back, you're labeling them as terrorists, non-humans, mm-hmm. non-humans. It's, 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 it's really kind of depressing, really. I mean, the restraint, the willingness to defend that order is removing the restraint on using force. You know, it's a little bit like, uh, you know, in the streets of Minneapolis, mm-hmm. we saw some of that, you know, with George Floyd, there was no restraint. There was a full application of force. When you say this, people get pissed off, you know, hey, when people of the community are restrained violently, there's no, there's just no restraint in the application of force. When we're So, of course, people get afraid. How far will it go? But apropos to what you're saying, there's still a boundary there. That boundary has not been breached. 
If the nukes are real, I have so much trouble believing that everybody is so sane and reasonable and, and level-headed that we haven't popped any off since Hiroshima and Nagasaki. It's just a, it's just a wild thing. It's a wild concept to be able to, to, be able to get your, your, your head around, right? It's like, you know, we want to say Kim Jong-un is this crazy, you know, dictator, you know, psychopath. But he has nukes. Why didn't he pop off out of his own self-preservation? Out of the, you know, with, with because of the the awareness that nuclear exchange is mutually assured destruction. Okay, if that's the case, then now we're back to my initial point. Then we're not actually worried about the Arabs getting the nuclear weapons that the Israelis have because the Arabs already have nuclear weapons if they wanted to use them, right? So now we're back to my original point two weeks ago. Why don't we bring, the whole thing is about conflict or conflict resolution, right? Barriers, deterrence, boundaries, borders. This is what makes a nation important. Why would I say bring the Jews to America? Everybody has a shit, has a, you know, takes a, sh- a shit. And I don't get it. Conflict resolution. There's one scenario that the conflict goes on in perpetuity. There's another scenario where, okay, First off, do you think that we could get the nuclear weapons out of Israel? Is that mm-hmm. possible? We got B-2 stealth bombers. We can't fly them in there and, and, and load up the nuclear warheads and get them out of there? And why are we even talking about that? Like, this is my point. If it's really the Iron Triangle versus the West, if it's really Russia, China, and, 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 uh, and Iran, and the rest of the Islamic world versus the West... And the Southern world. Then, then they can... Then they can then they could lean on Russia and China for nuclear technology. We we don't have to worry about the nukes that Israel has. We have to worry about the nukes that Russia has, or Chile, or Ecuador, or what you know. MBS said that if Iran has a nuke, the Saudis have to get a nuke, which means they both have nukes. But you know, you see, what I'm saying. I mean, I'm trying to walk people through. What I'm really trying to do here is walk people through a fundamental, critical way to think about war times and war prospects. And, and, you know, as a citizen, if I'm watching this conflict, I'm looking for the narrative that's told to me, but I also have enough baseline intuition and, and basic reasoning to, to try and sort through how I'm going to vote in, a, in, a, in a, an election cycle that's going to take place during a world war. And my mindset is, what, what could broker, a, how could peace come? It can't come by an all-out defense of Israel. In fact, we're either going to go to the way they're fencing it, we're either going to go to war with the entire Arab world, which right now on on record, I mean, no, they're not they're not lying about this. The Arab world is coming together in a sort of kill the West type of chant. Now they've been chanting it for thirty years, but it's getting loud. I mean, you can it, it's you know it had it was in the streets, but I've never had heard the leaders be so unabashed about it. And my my belief is that China and Russia are in the background telling these Arab leaders. We got your back. Well, if they got their back, who's the real war with? It ain't with the Arab world. And why would we get caught up or, 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 or you know, bogged down, you know, in the mud with the Arabs in the Muslim world? That's just a that's just a front. That'd be ju- that'd be for us. Who? Who's who are they front for? China and Russia. That'd be us hurling ourselves at the new Great Wall of the Arab world of which behind the Chinese and the Russians sit. Why would we waste our resources and all of our time and energy hurling ourselves at that Arab wall? Let's come back home. Let the Arabs then turn on their masters. 
Because when, when we're out of the, the area, when we, like you're saying, this is the brilliant part about relinquish the empire. When we relinquish the empire. It's your problem. Proceed. They're going to see very quick oh, I that the Chinese and the, the Russians are not as friendly when they're on, on top of oh, the hill. I'd like the Chinese to understand what it is to start lending money. You know, many of these Belt and Road countries have already defaulted. So there's a big deal out there. They're using debt to subjugate these countries, like Sri Lanka, mm -hmm. for example, which completely fell apart. But the real fact of the matter is when you're lending money to countries and they don't pay back, you're saddled with the debt as the, as the bondholder. So China is now for the first time projecting economic and military power, and they're really filling in a void step by step that the United States of America is leaving. Mm -hmm. And I'm saying, go ahead. Hey, we took our shot at Africa. Proceed. We should have we, never let Africa go. We took our shot at the Middle East. Proceed. We should have never let Africa we, go. Well, we did. We have way. We have so much ideological alignment with with the African countries, or we could have, many of which are Christian nations. Now, who, who, who? You mean the British or the Americans? The Americans. Great. We better start making that. We let Bill get. We, we better let start our, making that difference right now. That the American people have that. got to understand. I said that. That we need an authentic American foreign policy. That is not Atlanticist skewed. Yeah. Those people need to go take care of themselves, which is what Donald Trump said, which really. But, but, Russia, but Russia already got the drop on us. Russia got the drop on us already. When Putin goes on a diplomatic tour there in Africa to the different warlords and dictators and, and, and people, and, 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 he, and he takes, and what did he use? He used an anti-colonial, anti-white, anti-West narrative to go make peace and alignment with the African nations and paid off very small debt, minuscule debt in the, in the overall scheme of global debt. And now all of a sudden you got a bunch of black African leaders around the world saying Ooh, Putin's on the wait, side of wait, black wait, people. Wait, 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 Putin wait, don't give wait, a damn about black wait, people. Give me wait, a break. Wait, wait, wait. Slow down. Putin has been attacked by the West over and over since the early 1800s. Mm -hmm. The British. China was colonized by the British and other colonial powers. Mm -hmm. Africa is a mess because of colonization, still trying to wake up from it. I mean, when I was your age, South Africa was still an apartheid country. The United States was a colony of the British. We're the only ones that don't hate the British. All the rest of them, hate these people. I don't like them. I never liked them. I do not like Pierce Morgan. We were just watching Alex Jones, Alex Jones make fun of him. It was hilarious. I like this too, Pierce. It's great, you know? But I've never liked the British. And I've never liked them because they're extremely anti-Semitic and very upfront about it. Not all of them, of course. I'm painting with a broad brush. So please don't get mad at me if you're listening or viewing and you're British and you don't have anti-Semitic feelings. I know there's a multiplicity of feelings, but if you go back into the history, one could say that putting Israel up to do this 100-year war was rather anti-Semitic. Oh, it wasn't rather anti-Semitic. It was quite clearly anti-Semitic. It would let, be a way to handle the let's Jewish... Let's stick you down there with, with the rest of, uh, uh, you know, with your enemies, in the middle of all your enemies. 
Come you know, on. That and that happened right after you put, the Nazis. When you put a person in you you put a person in a prison. You put a person in a prison. And the prison is is broken up into different gangs, factions, groups, whatever, you know, different little cliques or whatever. And you take a guy and you throw him in the unit or on the cell block <laughs> with a rival gang, is it, are you doing him a favor? Now the argument, the counter argument to that is if you let him be the only guy on the cell block with a gun, then I guess you are doing him a favor, right? And so, I mean, that's the flip side of the coin. And we're arguing about that now in the Congress, which right. is the funding issue. Right. Because eventually Israel is going to need support if this continues. Oh, and this is see, and this is what I mean about these security deep fake lies, right? Lies, lies, and more lies. Okay. Oh, the you know, <laughs> I saw, you know. Israel doesn't need our troops. Israel doesn't need our support. Yeah, they don't need our support for Gaza. They don't need our support for Hamas. They don't need our troops for Hamas. But as soon as the Iranians go, as soon as, uh, you know, the, 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 the Jordanians go, as soon as the Yemenis go, as soon as these other Arab nations that are now, you know, as soon as the Turks go, ooh, come on, give me a break. And this is, I said it three weeks ago. Everybody's playing this thing out in a sort of best case scenario. It's very imprudent. It's very negligent. It's naive. Somebody tell me what the contingency plan is. Somebody tell me. If you're not anti-Semitic and you love the Jews like I really do, like I love you to death, we're family, right? Thank you. If you love the Jews or you love Israel or you're worried about the, 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 the existence, prosperity, well-being of Israel, or you just generally want peace. Let's say you don't care about the Jews. Let's say you're anti-Semitic. You just want peace. But you just want peace. Just right? peace. There are all those people out there. Of course Who are anti-Semitic, but you want peace. they view the Jews as causing the war. Absolutely. Okay. They just want peace. Great. Okay. If you really love the Jews, you love Israel, who can tell me the contingency plan? Is the plan here that we're going to provoke a level of warfare where the two options are Israel nukes its, its, its immediate enemies, which will obviously blow back on them, right? I mean, nuclear radiation, I mean, that, that's, that's game over for all of us. All of us lose in that scenario. But we just said that for the last 60 years, there hasn't been anybody crazy enough to actually use the nukes. It's just become a bluff chip on the, on the table. First of all, it'd be a, a grave spiritual a grave, it'd be a grave spiritual um, matter for the Jews to be the first ones to use nukes that lead to world destruction. That's a sort of satanic play. Well, that would be because then we could blame it on the Jews. Well, we wouldn't be blaming much of anything on anybody, but blame would be kind of done at that point. No, not going back to your thing that the nuke thing is a little bit overrated. No, because no, it's overrated, but once, but, but it's not about the, being incinerated in one blast. It's the, the, the nuclear fallout, the, the cloud. That part I believe in. We were going to starve. Killing the crops. Oh, we're going to starve. Yeah, that part and is And what real. happens to all the Jewish people that are out there when the Jews use the nukes and we're in a post-apocalyptic environment mm -hmm. and they, someone has to get blamed for the human suffering? That's called blaming on the Jews. I mean, really, it's, it's, that is really of concern to me. And what's even more horrifying about it is it's not the Jews. It's the Zionists. We haven't gotten to the... Wait, wait, don't, don't go to the punchline yet. That's a, we'll, we'll slow that down. We, we want to talk about that for sure in the, 
definitely want you to be able to speak on it because uh, apparently, according to certain individuals in the camp, uh, I have now crossed firmly over into the the the, the dangerous territory of being anti-Semitic. It's not that I have a genuine care for what's going on and I want to try and figure out, as every American citizen, every sane, logical, reasonable American citizen, Israeli citizen, Arab in the Middle East, Chinese citizen, Russian citizen, whoever you are in the world, if you're listening, somewhere you're going to be able to have a say in this at, at some point. You should be trying to think about what's going on here. Okay. It was so informative but, but, for me to go back and read that Declaration of Independence. But wait a second. Uh, but no, I want to get this out. This is okay. important because it goes into what the Tribune did to you when you declared as a candidate mm -hmm. to run against Ilhan Omar in the last cycle. Mm -hmm. And they said you were anti-Semitic because you used the word globalism. Mm -hmm. Just the word globalism. You were critical of globalism. And when I, when I read that Declaration of Independence and I look at how Israel, its fundamental underpinnings support the United Nations, ask the United Nations for help, and, and very specifically support the Democrat liberal order as their reason for becoming an independent state. That's the linchpin of globalism. Well, right. You know, you can see all of a sudden that any comment about globalism at all undermines Israel because it is essentially using the Jews again. Yes, that's exactly correct. Jews are getting used all around the board. They're getting used. They're getting used by the, the Jews, the split, which was where we first had our first the, but argument. The, and the split is clear. The Jews are getting used for the international narrative, and blacks are getting used for the domestic narrative. Now they're running a swing around on the Jews. Oh, look at how look at how crazy the game really gets. Talk about double cross and triple cross. The global the the globalists build the United Nations. Stick Israel down there with its enemies. They, they, they make the linchpin of, of the rise of globalism, not being able to criticize globalism because you're criticizing Israel. And, but, but on the back end here, the Marxists, the communists, which became the woke left, BLM, now they're going to say Israel is the one oppressing the blacks. The Palestinians are no different than the blacks. The, the Iranians are no different than the blacks. And I reject this on a fundamental basis. All you black folks out there that think you're Iranian or that think you're Persian or Ottoman or, or Egyptian, you have, no, you have no historical basis of what these cultures were, who they were. And if you want to, feel free. Go get a Qatar Airway uh, first-class yeah. ticket and pop up in Egypt and see how you're treated. Pop up in, in, in Qatar and see how you're treated. Now, I'm not saying that, you know, first of all, if you're treated well, it'll be on one basis that you're an American. An tourist. American. It ain't got nothing to do with you a being tourist, black. A you're tourista. a tourist. Right. You're a tourista. Okay, so th that, that's a lie. But you could see how both narratives were built up. Here at home, it's the oppression of black people, slavery, segregation. The British. They're on the world stage now. It's going to be, it was, it was protect the Jews. But now the narrative is swinging around and pitting Jews versus blacks. You know, let's get away from all that polarization mm -hmm. and get down to what's the root cause of the whole thing. It's the Industrial Revolution that came out of, out of uh, England. And the English had a very Darwinist view of things. 
And my belief, because I, you know, I'm, I have some history here. When I went to university in the 70s, everything was about colonialism, post-colonialism, the effect of the colonizer on the colonized, the psychology of the colonized, the psychology, psychology of the colonizer. And what the professoriate was doing was it was working its way back to a demand. Reparations, crown. We have no idea how much money you stole from all these people, but frog up and pay back. I think the crown recognized this mm. and the whole conspiratorial set of organizations going back to the Club of Rome and all of these different internationalist organizations were erected to misdirect or to redirect that anger of the colonized against the colonizers. They redirected to we the people. They socialized their sin and they got everyone to take on their sin. In other words, Okay, you could say every white person was a was a racist. You could. But where did they get their ideological foundation for going out and being colonizers? That was an organized effort of a government. Now we got all these people going, oh, I'm terrible. They're whipping themselves. I can't you know, stand it. It's bullshit. Mm. And it's it's taking people and it's being done at the universities. It's it's taking people and, and these professors are doing it because they're paid to do it. They go to seminars. They, they, there's benefits for them, just like pediatricians get benefits for making sure that their population is vaccinated. There's benefits for professors that take and pursue a certain kind of ideological investigation and turn out a certain kind of ideological output. They get funded to do it. They get tenure. They get grants. They get props. And, you know, you get a 20-year-old kid that doesn't know shit from Shinola. And, you know, it's who teaches the people and what do they teach them? And we're getting taught this narrative of climate change, social equity, and democracy. And it's a, a big misdirection play to healing the ravages of colonialism, which really this whole, we just said it, both of us said it in our own way. The British gave the Muslims a Jewish suppository. And we've been fighting a hundred year war and it's getting worse and worse. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. Now somebody put the Jews up to going there. Somebody supported that. That would be the British. And you think they knew then? I wasn't in their heads. Mm -hmm. But if we're going to make up a story afterwards, ex post facto. You can look at the results and infer people's motive. Hey, you know what? Maybe they didn't have the motive. Maybe they really cared about the Jews. Maybe they had a Protestant belief. Because this we know because it's written down. That British elites in their political structure had a Protestant belief in the second coming of Christ. And that was linked to the Jewish no, people. No, no. it's written down. No, no, no. I'm talking Protestant belief. It was there. Nope, not, he, not buying it. It's there. Not buying it I'm for gonna, a second. I'm getting you there. Oh, it might be there. I'm not buying it for a second. The Anglican, the Anglican church is, first off, there's no more corrupt church in human history than the Anglican church. Okay, so church. you're saying that's a cover story and they put it over there yeah, to get yeah, the Yeah, you could write that down. That's like the United Nations writing down that they're an international peacekeeping organization. Or the, uh, the, uh, the, the uh, Turks said that they should form a 
peacekeeping force to go into Gaza. Sounds nice, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm come on. No, I'm not buying it. You know, th- this whole. Yeah. I think I'm running into a, a, a an Anglican Catholic thing here, but hey, you know, I go by what they write. Oh, down. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church was corrupt. Had, had its fair share. Of they corruption wrote too. it down. I know that the people that were around Balfour. That's just that just speaks them, that speaks to their record. You know, uh, paper trail. They're the, they're the originators of. Well, the then if paper that's trail. the case, if we're going to go to the what they wrote down was a scam, then we would say yes, they did it knowledgeably like they wrote so many of these other boundaries and borders, turning Shiites against Sunnis. The whole thing was about extracting oil out of the Middle East. Mm-hmm. MBS, he speaks this, such good English. And where was MBS educated? At, he was educated at Saudi University. But, and who was his teachers there? <laughs> British academics. British academics. I'm going to give you a, a Oxford, perf- a uh, perf- Oxford grads. I'm going to mention a name of somebody I know very well that I grew up with. Ken Keller, he was the president of the University of Minnesota. He was deposed in a very kind of unpleasant and anti-Semitic way. He, you know, his career was destroyed because uh, this Jewish guy from New York ran afoul of the constabulary here of the Minnesota Union Party, so they got rid of him politically. And he was kind of lost and hurt, and I knew him well. And he was befriended by Paul Wolfowitz of neocon fame. And Wolfowitz got him a gig working in Qatar to run Qatar University. They actually created a westernized education in Qatar, which Keller was in charge of, which was a very security state kind of operation, right? Mm -hmm. So even if they didn't go to Eton or Oxford for education, those academics went into the Arab world and educated those Arab elites. And that's just the way it is, and so this kind of Darwinist sentiment, this kind of history. So they did in the they did in the Middle East, or they did in the Arab world, what they did to us after World War II. I think that's true, and they certainly did it to the Jewish people because there was a great effort in the Jewish community to throw off the traditional, to liberate. I mean, it was actually thought as a a liberation that uh, believing in God, maintaining the traditional ways, was primitive. I want to go to the university. I want to be educated. I want to be a scientist. I don't want to be a rabbi. I want to be a doctor. I think that's kind of gone on throughout the world, which is, for me, really kind of went backwards on this deal. But that's, you know, consciousness is an experiment, and uh, we're experimenting all the time, and perhaps um, we're going to have a... um, a breakdown to some degree where people are going to have to rediscover being in good physical shape, growing their own food, you know, taking care of themselves in more essential kind of, I was watching, Alex was talking about this when the financial collapse happened in the great depression, 40% of the population lived on the land. They were self-sufficient from a food security perspective. Now, as we move into this kind of, economic uncertainty, less than 5% of the population, maybe 2%, is actually capable of being independent in terms of their food security. Mm. So the dependency on government has just grown enormously. And I think that's, you know, part of the subtext of what we talk about and we, we is, is regaining our, our independence and our self-sufficiency. I don't know what this necessarily has to do with war, 
Well, <laughs> if we go to war to a certain level, the 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 self sufficiency of the people is going to become is going to very you know, important center right? stage, right? Right. Well, yeah, especially nuclear war. And again, I go back to my question to you, and I don't have the answers. Look, people, I, I think right now everybody wants to pretend they have the answers. There's sort of this, there's sort of this professional career like scam, fake surety, uh, uh, fake, yeah, yeah, the, fake. yeah, a thin veil of surety that that's you know the Mark Levin kind of I know what to do, follow me. That's propagandized as as based in historical knowledge and expertise. Education, you know, is right. a better term. Pedigree, right? Gravitas, and it's just like I—I uh, I don't believe you, people. I don't believe you, and I'm not willing to. St- First off, I'm not willing to stake my life on it. Second off, I'm not willing to stake my children's lives on it, and I'm not even willing to die in the false sense of belief in you. Like, if I'm going to die, I'm if I'm if we're gonna if we're gonna go at, at you know go there, if we're gonna go, and this is it, right? We're going to the war to end all wars. I'm not going to be here. I'm not going to sit here in Minneapolis, Minnesota on a Thursday afternoon with a false sense of belief in a guy like Mark Levin. I mean, just that's a sort of infomnia, right? When I think about it, it's like if I'm sitting there in heaven, I mean, all my problems will be over. I'll be with Christ, God willing. Um, but, you know, after, after the deal's done, I'm not, I mean, I just, it would, it would, uh, it would feel, very, very ugly to have died with a false sense of belief in some of the the, the shoddy intellectualism that, that we've come to accept in this country. I think that the people, the people, we the people want the confidence that our leadership and our academic leadership and our political leadership, our elites, since we've vested so much of our power into the elites, that they know what they're doing. That's why I call this a Gordian knot. Because it seems like there's going to be a genocide on one side or the other, and there doesn't seem to be a way out of it. So I think the premise that we really don't know is a good place to start. You know, I've been saying this going back to the Ukraine thing. We were talking about this in the office today. March for peace. Who's asking for peace? Is anybody asking for peace? Is there anybody in the movement that's saying we need to have peace? Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump's the only one on record right now in the, in the belly of the beast seeing in town hall with, when, when, it, when he was asked about Ukraine and Russia and said, we just want the killing to stop. You know, I, I don't even, look, Donald Trump, you know, they- You they, got to juxtapose that with Nikki Haley. War, war, and more war. And Ron DeSantis. Oh, yeah. And all of them. All of them. All of them. Ted Cruz. All of them. You pick one. I can't. They're unified. They're, they're unified I can't. in that. They're, I can't. They're unified one. in their neocon desire for war. Mike Johnson, the first thing he said was interviewed by Hannity, and he kind of just wrapped down the party line. You know, China, Russia, the whole thing. But and, but that part was true. I, you know, we let, let's give Mike. Mike just came from political obscurity. I know the boys in black. You know, the, the men in black walked him into a into a room and read him the riot act. So now he's on his newly appointed journey of of uh, that that Donald Trump was set on, and Donald Trump had a lot of pitfalls and hit some trip wires and made some mistakes, trusted some people that he shouldn't have trusted. One of which could have started this war. The last go around was Bolton, who was appointed by Mark Levin, by the way. So 
there's that. But, you know, you're going to make some mistakes once you get into that position where you get the vantage point of of bigger piece of the deal than you ever had before. I mean, Mike's always been a smart guy. You could look at his record. He's been voting MAGA. His MAGA voting record speaks very well to, to who he's been up until now. When you go from being n- not even known to becoming the speaker of the, the people's house, that's a big jump. Well, this goes back into what we were talking about where we had that kind of cleavage. What is the nature of our empire going forward? At least could we have an American empire? Could I quit shilling for the crown, what, please? What Mike did do, I'll say. It's cool, wasn't it? He bifurcated the he bifurcated the, the war. And he said, Pago. He said, we're going to deal with each issue individually. And he said, we're going to reduce some domestic spending. Yes. I watched on Morning Joe just this morning. He threatened him without really threatening him. Oh, no, he did something so cool. <laughs> you know, and I was, they ran Steve Ratner out there on MSNBC this morning with charts and graphs because what Johnson said was, if you want $17 billion for Israel, we're taking $17 billion from the IRS. And the liberals ran right out there and said, that's going to add to the debt. Who are you, mega people? And, what I, you know, if, if that's where it stops, like if every time a bill comes up there, after this, and there's no pay go, then I have to say I agree with Steve Radner. All they're doing is protecting the pockets of the very wealthy because that's who the IRS goes after. But if every time they come for an expenditure, which is really unlimited based on what you're saying, and mm-hmm. I, you know, it's, the debt is kind of a scam, mm-hmm. if we don't reduce some bloated part of the government, that's a lost opportunity. What he's saying is the symbol of the IRS, which is the invasion of the government into the lives of the people. And if you've ever been on the business end of an IRS audit, hey, it's not fun. And they don't make it fun. And they treat you like dog shit because, you know, they've got enforcement powers. they're not afraid of the people. They're not afraid to walk in your office with a gun and show it to you because I've, I've seen it. I asked the guy, why do you have to show me your gun? He got pissed at me, and my attorney said to me afterwards, he showed it to you in case you had a gun. I said, okay, that makes sense. He was afraid. But the... the yeah, uh, bullshit. What? Bullshit. No, no, they walk into an office, and they're in there by themselves? Bullshit. He showed it to you as a show of force. Bo- right, it's a show of force in case you want to show your it's force. The, it's the local version of the neocon mentality. Lowest rung of the military-industrial complex, show of force as a deterrent, fenced as security and safety. I mean, it's just, it it goes. Maybe you're right about that. I like that. Give me a break. I like that. Where I'm from, look, where I'm from, they come and show you that gun for, you know, don't get me wrong, not that they're not in danger, but they show everybody the gun with equal opportunity. All right. It's not, you know, it's a a blanket approach. We're not used to that on the. Other side of the tracks, I'm just telling you, it yeah. was a new experience for me. It, it, but if they keep doing this, if we keep hammering away, do you know that 50% of this scam, the debt that you're referring to, is done in three years? If we balanced the budget today and took the dislocation proactively, in three years, half the debt would be gone. And then if you had the Federal Reserve right off the bullshit money on their books. Nine trillion. We could be solvent. Solvent and masters of the universe. Because the first person that, if we the people demand solvency, 
we win. If we the people demand the pumping of oil, we win. Because if the oil price goes down, Iran and Russia can't afford to fight these wars. They can't afford to fight the wars. They can't afford it. And of course, the inflation would go down for we the people. We might be able to go to a restaurant and have dinner or buy some toys for our kids or a new suit mm-hmm. because we're not just paying everything we have into this inflation. So your 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 solution and and your your asymmetrical solution to avert world war is to balance Dr- the budget, pump the oil. Drill ba- hey, if, leave the budget out of it. Just pump oil. Just pump oil. So is the is the not pumping of the oil the the greatest symbol of the managed decline of the West that it's actually an inside job because it's such an obvious answer? And the climate change thing is such an obvious fugazi. Scam. Yes. And, that, and that's the that's a cornerstone of the whole post-World War II Democrat liberal order. And they're really recycling this all the time. I just saw an article with one of the great thinkers allegedly said, oh, they, you know, the carrying capacity. that they're, they're using these same arguments that go back to Paul Ehrlich, the population bomb. I read it in 1968. Why did I read it? Oh, my mother thought it was genius. I said, I got to read this book for myself. I remember thinking to myself, this is bullshit. What was it? What was the claim? That there's too many people for the earth and there's going to be a mass die off because there's too many people. And since that time, the population's probably tripled. And you know, the, the creativity and the ingenuity of the human being is completely discounted by these folks. And at the same time, I'm reading that there's a huge effort to come up with this fusion energy. Mm-hmm. I mean, come on, we talked about that before. If there was fusion energy all of a sudden, unlimited, clean energy. Problem solved. A lot of problems. A lot of problems solved. A lot. But, you know, this... Would take warfare to a whole new level, too. Yes, it would. Maybe take it's it... It's part of the reason why they may not be letting it out of the bag. They might already have it. And they're not, they're, they're safeguarding it because it, it could potentially... Uh, Take warfare to a, a whole new, whole new place. It might make warfare irrelevant because we have plenty and bounty. That would fuck up some people's money making, wouldn't it? You think so? That's kind of a Marxist mentality. No, I don't think so. Yeah. Why? Because you're you're because and then that that's that is kind of what Karl Marx was getting at, right? Is that if the resource issue was more evenly distributed, then man's malice would, would dissipate. That's not true. Wait a second. Slow down. Okay. I'm not saying anything about spreading it out equal, but let's go with that first. No, I mean, just not even equally, even just to some common, even to some just some common, vi- you know, viability. You know, for all people the, are still going to be batshit crazy. You know, I'm really into this two sides of the equation yeah. thing. And since I got so many people yeah. hit me on social media that I'm a Marxist, hey, who was Karl Marx? He was living in an, I'm going to digress. He was living in an environment. I know you're not a Marxist, but go ahead. Keep well, going. kind of a Marxist, but kind of. I really have sacrificed so much of my own personal financial success because I don't want my economic choices to impoverish other people. And once you've made that, you're either religious or a Marxist. Right. Isn't that interesting? Right. He is a Jew. And what was he doing? He was really developing a philosophy to unwind the monarchies in an unholy alliance with the church, which was creating a feudalistic kind of society in Europe. Yeah, that's one side of it. 
Well, that, yeah, and that is one side. And the other side is he was unwinding God. Well, he was unwinding the church for sure. No, he was unwinding. Yes, he was. Okay. God. I just have to cop to it. That's true. <laughs> but I'm saying the sentiment, I mean, you have to look at the totalitarian. No, there were good, poli- there were good political justifications at the time for what he was he doing. He threw the baby out with the bathwater. He was exactly an asshole. Right. But that's you know, what black that's what BLM wants to do now. It's exactly what BLM wants to do now. They want to say that But isn't that a fine line between thinking about the other and not because we live in this world that it's all about self-interest. That capitalism is about a bunch of people pursuing their self-interest wherever it takes them. And we're we're raised in that stew. At least the boomers were. Hey, whatever's good for me. The rest of you fuck off. And as if if we're all pursuing our own interest, hey. That's the free market. No, I like what Maimonides said. If I am not for myself, who will be? But if I'm only for myself, what am I? I like that one. Something for us to think about as a community. As a country. Because the lack of care, I mean, what would really make our movement, the America First movement, come alive, really come alive, is if we became an American community. That's what's missing, community. That's what the Islamic people are showing us. They got a community. They have a common set of beliefs. Yeah. And it's being weaponized. <laughs> right? Yeah. Yeah. Right. No doubt. Well, and then, of course, you take out the Christian. There are a few, there are a few, uh, there are a few aircraft carriers and missile, laser-guided missiles short of a, of a full deck, though, in this war. So they can come together with their common beliefs all they want to. What they're about to get is a heavy dose of technology. They're, they're getting it. Yeah. They're getting a heavy well, dose no, of it. And it's going, it's going to kick up a notch right I think now. I saw Kamala Harris on television. They asked her. Oh, no, and my point in bringing that up is you can't at the same time say, hey, we have a common set of beliefs. We're willing to die for our beliefs and then not want to do the dying part. See, the Muslim world, they're saying we'll, we'll die, die for it. Yes. Yeah. But then the Western white liberals and whoever else is in their woke posh position of 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 uh, you know on looking observation goes well but they shouldn't have to die for it we're going to come in and intervene and stop them from doing the dying that's a very anti god sort of sort of idea anyway if they want to die for god who are you to tell them that they can't die for their god and their beliefs it's kind of undermining their religion and i'm not saying we should genocide anybody i'm not i'm anti genocide but what i'm saying is you know the the None of these people who say, "Hey, you know, let's let's uh, you know, we're wrong," or they're they're not they're not going to to Gaza to to die with the Palestinians. It's like the white woman who who had the the from GQ who interviewed Jordan Peterson. I mean, I just see it from this more domestic local perspective. And I'm still not pro forever war in Israel. I'm still not. I, I've un I've untied that knot here in the podcast. Hopefully for people. The claim is, if we rescind from the farthest outpost of the empire, eventually it makes its way here. You have a real crisis of, of perspective around military, around geography, around how big those oceans are and how hard they are to come across from a military standpoint, especially from an invasion force, especially here in America. Pacific's an even bigger ocean to cross, but the Atlantic itself is a is not just a hop, skip, and a jump. That, that's a real hurdle, right, even for modern technology. So I've untied the knot of us not being in a forever war. But on the, on, on the flip side of things is you, you have this sort of um, 
this liberal white woman mentality about warfare on the left popping up against Israel and people saying, you know, it's, it's like the woman who, who, uh, who debated Jordan Peterson from GQ. She goes, you know, the male dominated patriarchy and men, white men have, have dominated the resources and the distribution of resources for since, since time immemorial. He and cut we, her up. And he, you know, he just said, he asked her, he said, well, you, you seem to be pretty privileged as well. And she goes, yeah, I think in my whiteness, I am privileged. <laughs> and he goes, well, why don't you give your job to somebody who's less fortunate? And she, immediately she just goes, no, I'm not going to do that. I don't, I'm not going to do that because I don't think it would help. I think that's a good line for Amy Klobuchar. Why don't you give your posh, privileged Senate position up to a young, misfortuned, and a less fortunate black man from the, the working class or the blue? I mean, you know what really... she would say? She would say, oh, don't play the race card. I mean, these people are... <laughs> These people are unabashed in their contradiction, and that's why I'm so threatening to both sides. Is because I don't. I'm. I'm just. I don't know. I. I don't have that. That self doubt. My. My ego is too big to participate in that level of dishonesty. I was saying on my podcast the other day, like what solved my anxiety, what helped with my anxiety a great deal. From I still have anxiety a lot sometimes, but what helped with it a great deal from when I was young and having panic attacks three times a day, four times a day every day, all week, um, was just being more honest. It's like, man, the lie, upkeep and lies was, was too much on top of the regular anxiety just about life. Too much work. It was too much. Too much energy. Yeah, the pillars of lies were, were like, you know, crushing me. Yeah, to redeploy that energy into yeah, well-being. Yeah, I think that's an interesting uh, comment on, on the, the dangers of being a liar or a society that lies or a political class that lies to its people, so much energy gets into... Holding up the lies. Holding up the lies that there's nothing left over to provide for the well-being of the people. Well, right now we're like Atlas holding up, holding up Olympus uh, with, with the amount of lies that we've built the society on, right? Well, that's a lot what, of it is military. And I, I said, again, hopefully everybody out there understands why I went through the thought experiment of giving the opposing view to my own, right? The Mark Levins in the world, they won't say it, but behind their world, behind their, behind their topical assessment of what America should do right now in this conflict, what they are saying is a, is a point worth noting. It's, it's not nothing, but it's also easily debunkable if you look at a big enough swath of history. It's, you know, if we leave these places, the Muslims will come in, take the weapons, take the technology, uh, you know, and, and use them against us or use them against Europe. Right, that's what they're really saying. They'll use them against Europe. Ipso facto, they're kind of saying they may even use them against us. A little more far-fetched for sure. But again, the Russians and Chinese are right there behind them. They're saying that. Don't let these people piss on you and tell you it's champagne. If the Russians and Chinese are already right there behind this Arab alliance, then they don't need to overrun Israel to get nukes. They could get them from Russia. And if Russia was really as aligned with the air if the if the russians really trust the arabs like they're trying to promote they'd give nukes, nukes to iran but they don't trust the iranians they don't trust any of these arab or african nations because they're an ethno-national culture just like the chinese if the chinese really were in alignment with north korea they might be a little bit closer to actually giving the north koreans nukes but you know what i mean i mean they would be in a more open trade a more open exchange with their little satellite uh, uh, proxy 
countries than they are now. So it tells me a couple of things. One, the Russians and the Chinese, they don't really want to go yet. They do want to go. They they will go. They, they they spiritually they hate us. They don't they they they'll go. They don't want to go right now. Do the Russians really hate us? Um, yeah, I think they hate us. I think if any, you think they hate, the I American, think if anybody, you think the yes, Russian people hate. The if American anybody people? has a more legitimate gripe in history to have a real animus towards America for its affiliation with the British Empire, it's the Russians. So really, to and the Chinese. because the Russians know, right? The Russians know. See, they, we're we're so far from it in America. They know where the ideas come from. They know where the ideas come from. So do the Chinese. That's true. Well, what right. would happen then politically if we just got up one day and said, and "Fuck said, the crown, fuck the Europeans"? They're I, on their own. I've been tell. I've been well. The same argument is going to be made. Oh, I don't care about that argument. Well, that's what that. But hey. that's what you're fighting. But what I'm they're going to say is I don't in care. France, yeah, right. in Germany, great, in England, and you know all these places in Europe. You know, if we leave, the Muslim hordes are going to just the Russian Europe. hordes. No, well, no, well, the Muslims. Well, they let them in. They they let right. them in. They right. have unrestricted right. immigration. Right. It's a problem in France. I've been there. Right. I've been to the flea market. We let them in though too. We're letting them in. We're letting them not. In. Past yeah. it's today, right now. Right. So you know, the same argument. And when could I be say made we, there. that'd be we the people, because if we. Where do you draw the line? Where do you draw the line? The next election cycle. Well, but what I mean is this: Where do you draw the line in saying? See, here's what the there's two, there's three anti-American sentiments. One is anti-American in that we deplete all of our financial stability on military supremacy and dominance. That's the neocon. The neoliberal is the neocon. But they're more going to promote. They got a cover-up story. They got a cover story about health care. In effect, right? And climate and the yeah. whole story. Yeah, it's more about, it's, it's, their thing is more legislative, you know, everybody needs to just be doing a little better, right? And then things will be fine. They're really kind of like Marxists at the core, too. But the far left, their thing is different. Their thing is America has to fall in order for anything to get better, right? So they're the furthest, most anti-American out of the three. But they're leading the charge. And I, when I say they're leading the charge, I mean all of their legislative and policy sort of uh, agendas are coming to fruition in a way where they can then go back to their constituents and reaffirm their own narrative, like, for example, the immigration piece. Right, but well, if these people are here now, what are we going to do? Deport well, they them, kill them. Deserve to be here. Why? We're a nation of immigrants. Yeah, we're, of course. What are we going to do? Deport them, kill them. What do we? You know, what do you want us to do with them? That's not right. That's not humane. Yeah. Right. So they're furthest along down the trot in their political ambitions per the narrative. Right. The neocons are trying to catch up, and that may be why we're on our way to war, because the neocons are trying to catch up to the Marxists and the far leftists in the narrative. In the global narrative, or in the or in the the domestic, you know, the national narrative. Say a little bit more about that. I want to make sure I understand. The Marxists are way out ahead of the neoliberals and the and the neocons. Way way out in front. How how are they the narrative? The the things that they set in motion, the 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 wage based resource gap, inequality, you know, disposition, dispossessed, sort of 
culture in America or in the entire West or anywhere that Western capitalism has touched is boding so well for them culturally that the, the people who have... Uh, uh, the contradictions in... Yes. They're exploiting those yes. contradictions. Yeah, that's why... To undermine yes, that architecture. The Overton window is being drugged by them that way. And how are the neocons trying to drag it back? Because when things... When you go to war and people's lives are immediately threatened, they start to think about safety more. Immediate safety, right? And so now if we're going to... That's how you see a no... <laughs> Yuval Noah Harari, who any other time is this sort of esoteric intellectual. Now all of a sudden... It, oh, yeah, Netanyahu. You know, <laughs> Viva Israel. Hail Netanyahu, right? <laughs> right? Well, he called for Netanyahu to resign, but I've been watching his stuff. He said something hilarious. It's not really hilarious, but it was hilarious to me because I have a weird sense of humor. Hamas must be disarmed. Yeah. Netanyahu is saying Hamas must be destroyed. Mm-hmm. Well, that's... a interesting uh could i please have your weapon you never let it you <laughs> never let a finocchio who's never who's never been in a fist fight tell you how to how to go about doing combat i mean rarely does that end it's well. hilarious yeah, isn't it, it just doesn't end well i mean what do you mean by disarm may i please have your weapon sir it's it's hilarious vegan grenades yes that was great wasn't it it was it, that that video was, was ai generated it's actually a fake but it, but it was hilarious. It's it's funnier because it's fake. It's funnier because it's so on on target on cue. Yes, we we want to pursue our wars in a very postmodern way. Yeah, so nice. Yeah, it's very very beautiful. Biodegradable tanks. Yeah, whoever made that is inc- just got hilarious. a great sense of humor. They're hilarious. They really are great. I, let's let's get to the Mark Levin thing now. I mean, we've already been talking about the neocon mentality. And again, I do want to say, love Israel, love the Jews, but let's think out over the horizon. Everybody has this sort of... Wait, slow down. Mm -hmm. We got to make a distinction here. Between the Jews and the Zionists? Otherwise, we can't talk about it. Okay. Okay. I'm Jewish. I'm not a Zionist. That's going to get me a lot of really mean social media coming at me. But I'm not alone. Because... A very large percentage of the religious Jews in this world do not identify with Israel. They view Israel to be illegitimate. You don't have to look very far. Just go on YouTube and look around for it. And everybody can see that within the cohort of the genetically related Jewish group or the spiritually related Jewish group, for those of us that want to talk about the Khazarians, great. There's a disagreement about Israel that is going right to the core of the Jewish identity. So we're going to start right there. Because those religious Jews are not going to sit down with Mark Levin. In fact, they're not going to sit down with Professor Penn, because I've gone on record as saying, I know Christ. So they're not going to sit down with me. But that's a whole other issue for another time. But they are not supportive of the Zionist enterprise. Because they believe that as Jews, there's no violence. They're priests. They want to live as priests. That's how they live. And if you look at how they dress, they look like the Mennonites or the Amish. They're very traditional in what they're doing. They're not giving up the old ways. Zionists are a completely different group of people. And the religious believe that the Zionists have hijacked the Jewish identity. It's got to start out right there. So when you say you're a lover of the Jewish people, Mm -hmm. okay. Mark Levin is a Zionist. 
That's different. I am not a Zionist. That's just the way it is. That doesn't mean I want to see a genocide against the Jews. Right. I don't want genocide against the Palestinians. Right. That's why I say it's a Gordian knot, because these two are going to fight it out, it seems like, until somebody and, wins. And and I'm and I'm looking at the I'm looking at content videos coming out of the area that are now surfacing about just the dynamic that that that's that's happening there in the aftermath of this 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 uh butchery this yeah this war and there's a very hateful sort of back and forth there on the ground like by by the the people i mean you know die tribal die jew die palestinian tribal. die death to arabs death to the jews netanyahu people of light and people of darkness it's uh it's a it's a sort of uh it's ugly. It's an ugly thing. And so, you know, I said again, I'll say it again for everybody who's just joining the, the broadcast. My prescription would be to take the Jews out of there. To me, it seems like an injustice to the Jewish people to leave them in a place surrounded by their enemies in a you're state of repair, perpetual warfare. You're, you're going to repair the sin of the crown. Why would we leave people we say we love people we say are our allies in surrounded by in their harm's enemies way. in, harm's in way. perpetual warfare unless it had a military sort of economic scam-like advantage for us. I don't send people, I wouldn't send my son or my daughter into harm's way in perpetuity. We brought the Somalis to Minneapolis. We bring everybody to the United States. We bring the Afghan the Afghanis. We went to war with them for twenty years, and then we're bringing them. I to think America. AOC said we should bring the Palestinians. As a matter of fact, I don't know let's if you saw. Oh, it. hey, let's <laughs> let let's bring Hamas, right? I mean, you know, these people are way out there, right? I mean, when they say this is the real strange thing that I just can't get over the identification of Hamas and the the separation of Hamas and Palest Palestinians seems naive in both directions. How do any of you know who's Hamas and who's just a Palestinian civilian? None of you know. And that's just the truth. I don't care if you're talking about a ground invade, that supports Bibi Net. That's what Bibi Netanyahu went as a justification to bomb these people. Because really, at first, we all called bullshit when we're gonna go door to door. How do you know who's who? Oh, you know what, good point. We're just gonna bomb them all, right? So, you know, still, even if you bomb them, they open up Rafa's crossing. You let the Palestinians go into Egypt. And, and now some people are saying, well, we're going to let the Palestinians come back when Hamas is defeated. Come back to what? A pile of rubble. Not only that, how do you know that Hamas didn't get out with the Palestinians? You don't. Lie. And you know, it's it, a lie. And I just don't like the lies, Mark Levin. And, that's and the it, point I'm making. Well, that, that's, that's, that's one of the fundamental ones, that there is a gap between Hamas in the Arab world now. I would say after this go around, you go to Turkey and they're going to be standing up in Turkey and saying, I am Hamas. Just like that great Kirk Douglas movie, Spartacus. I am Spartacus. So they've, they've created that. But I do want to say this because we've been going for a long time and I don't want to lose the opportunity. I am a witness. And I know that when you brought up Mark Levin's name on Fearless, mm -hmm. You had no idea that Mark Levin was involved with the Blaze. 
I know it for a fact because I'm the one who told you that Mark Levin was involved with the Blaze. Right. So I have to just get this out for the fearless audience, for the please call me crazy audience. There's certain things that I know that nobody knows. Mm. Number one, it was completely unintentional. Number two, the reaction to a attempt to lovingly talk to a friend. And this is a public forum. Hey, you've corrected me and jumped on me a couple times today. I'm not taking it personal. I mean, if you're really a player intellectually, you can take some feedback, some incoming. I mean, that's what it is to be in the world of ideas. Mm -hmm. That's how we learn new things. That's how we grow intellectually. And I know I've done the same thing to you. Absolutely. So the, my point is a loving attempt to rescue or to assist or to uplift a friend is what really friendship is all about. You wouldn't be a friend if you didn't tell the truth. You'd be a liar. You'd be an opportunist. But when you have the courage to talk to a friend and say, hey, hey, what's going on here? we got to stay focused on the movement. It's not about the audience. It's not about monetizing the audience. It's not about creating an audience. It's not about making money. It's about creating a community of American citizens that believe in God and believe in the United States of America. That's what we're doing here. If we get rich along the way, that's great. But let us not pursue money and sacrifice the intentionality of what we're doing. And that's all you were saying. And that's a very righteous thing to say. And so I'm very unhappy to see your intentionality impugned. I will say that as a friend. I have to say it. I just have to say it. You know, I wanted to say it. You held me off from saying it earlier. But I'm saying that to, if I, Professor Penn, who goes on my podcast and regularly reads scripture and talks about faith, if I don't strive to follow the faith, I'm a hypocrite. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. If I make a mistake, I can come back and ask for forgiveness or I can admit my mistake, at least in the mirror, and not perpetuate an error. So I'm going to say that whatever mistakes I make, I want the chance to correct them, and I would afford other people that same opportunity for reconciliation. So from my perspective, for every American citizen, the opportunity is there to reconcile ourselves, one to another as Americans, and one to another as children of God. And the effort to impugn intentionality is not a righteous thing to do. Because I know, I'm telling your audience, I know what your intentionality is. I wouldn't hang around with you. In fact, I think I told you if you ever veer off the path, you're going to have to deal with me. Remember that? Yeah. When we started out, I said, hey, if you lose it, I'll be the guy that finishes the deal. Yeah. Because you're an important political figure in this country, in my opinion. So. I like the fact that you're staying focused on the goodness, the growth, the health, the well-being of the American people. And if that means you have to correct me, and I want to also tell your audience, the first time we talked, when you said to me that Israel was the linchpin of globalism, my head blew off my shoulders. <laughs> you know, we talked for three hours. Hmm. I said, boy, there's, there's a lot of truth to that. And it really opened up a lot of opportunity for me to grow as a person. And when I can have a young man look at me at my age 
and inform me of something that makes me a better person, this I have to say thank you. So hopefully other older people maybe have strayed off or are not understand, maybe they'll also come back and say thank you in their own time. Yeah. God's not through with any of us. Right. And we're going to keep the door open for that. Not me. And I, you know, I can be a, uh, I can be a tough one to deal with. I'm not going to say I'm the, the easiest person to deal with it, but I will say that it seems the American culture in the most general way is uh, much more sensitive today to ideological correction or, or challenge. Uh, you know, the prejudgments are fully baked into people's thinking and, and to even think all, uh, to even think in a in a more genuine and original way is is seen as hostile towards you know the security the safety the convenience of how we've all been trained to think and this is why I see people who I hold in a very high regard like Alex Jones like a Steve Bannon now like Donald Trump once I was able to really you know get in the swing of what he was doing and what he was you know what how how he was going about it um, but but other people as well in history you know Malcolm. Kennedy, Bobby Kennedy, you know, he, he, he had some, some good things about him too. Martin Luther King, you know, you can pick people, right? And I see the same thing for others that some people would find abhorrent, like Omar Gaddafi. I still, Farrakhan. Yeah, Farrakhan, for sure. We uh, laughed yeah. about that, remember? Yeah. You, you weren't even sure I knew who Farrakhan was. <laughs> I said, were you watching him on WGN? And I said, yeah. were you? Everybody yes. was. I was too. <laughs> <laughs> Loved it. That would make you anti-Semitic, sir. Yes, it would. Yes, but you know would. what? Having my belief. What would you like about him? Honesty. You know what's funny is we, we actually, right now I can feel the energy in the chat from later tonight. Yeah. That as soon as you say, and this is what I meant, this is what I was just saying about the convenience of, of the American psychology, intellect, you know, way of thought, the convenience of it is all predicated on division. It's all predicated on division. I mean, it really is. And, and the most benign sort of casual sort of, um, you know, shoddy history, sh shoddy identity classification, it's all, it's all division. And I can feel right now when you say Minister Louis Farrakhan's name, there's some people who look at the chat. Who is, uh, and we're bringing together a sort of unique, diverse audience of people who come together under that auspice of America first, but but come from the the ideological lineage of whatever the divisions. Lots of different lots Yeah, of different whatever tributes. divisions already existed. And so you have some people hear Farrakhan's name and they'll say, hey, if Farrakhan tells it like it is, or they'll say, hey, Farrakhan was, you know, is working with the Masons and the Nation of Islam is a Freemason. And then you have some people say he's just an anti-Semite. And it's just like, it's a real indictment of your own discernment when you can't find people, the rare people who are willing to fight the establishment in some way and separate the truth from the things they say from the disagreement. You know, nobody's telling any, I certainly wouldn't tell anybody to follow Minister Louis Farrakhan in blind faith. There's no man you should follow in blind faith except Jesus Christ, right? I mean, that, that, I mean the, the Messiah is the only man you should follow in blind faith. God is who you should submit to in blind faith. No other man uh, deserves that type of, of, uh, of fealty. 
But there but are. But we always demand from our leaders the perfection of Christ, and when they don't live up to it, mm-hmm. we can discredit them. And we don't discredit them because of them. We discredit them because of us. And because of the ideas that they're confronting yes. us with. And that's what they're doing to Donald Trump. That's what the left is doing to, to, to Donald Trump. And so my, my deal is when I'm critical of somebody, when I challenge somebody, genuinely, I don't do it to cut them down. But we all have such a, a high level of, of stakes in our own mind about what the audience is seeing us confronted with, how they'll take it, you know, what they're thinking. And, and over this last week or so, and this is the end of the week of, of this conflict that kind of broke out with me and Jason, but I, can, I know Jason well enough, and I saw how the whole thing unfolded to realize that he took a look, a serious look at how the audience responded. In fact, even responding to the very uplifting podcast that I, I did originally was a sort of response to the responses, right? I mean, he, was, he, he felt compelled to respond because of what the audience was going to think or what the audience was saying. And I can tell that because if you go watch the show and, you know, you look at the, go back and look at the live chat when he responded and, you know, there are people in the live chat and he's in the live chat. And as they're telling him, you know, I think you got this one wrong, he's responding back, right? So there's that, that, that dynamic at play. When I go to criticize somebody, in all honesty, I don't give a shit what anybody else thinks about it. I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about it. I don't give a shit what anybody thinks about that person. I'm actually have, like, if I corrected you in the podcast, it's just me and you here. I don't care what... Isn't that a weird psychological dynamic? It's just you and me, and people yeah. are getting to watch us talk to each other. That's what it's supposed to be, though, right? But we lose... I mean, the... the, the we don't lose it. I'm looking right at you, yeah. and this is just you and me right here in a room, just the two of us. We don't even have a producer in here because you're self-producing. It's just us. It's Makes just, it real intimate. It's really cool. <laughs> and then when I watch it back afterwards and I realize thousands of people are watching it, yeah. then... You do look at the, and I understand how people could get caught up in the dynamic of the feedback and in the quest to be successful. Right. But that comes down to what is success. Yes. And for me, what I want is to motivate American citizens to join me in an effort to restore America. I'm not doing it for money. In fact, costing me money, Right. I, I'm not doing it to get rich or famous. In fact, I tell a funny story. Let me just tell yeah, you. Yeah, go story. ahead. Last December, not even one year ago, Royce and I were sitting in a car. And he said, "Man, do you know how much I could get done podcasting? What do you think about that?" And I looked at you and said, "What's a podcast?" Yeah, I had no idea. No, I've been watching podcasts, but I didn't know the word. And then Royce looked at me and said, "You know." You'd be great at this. And I looked at Royce and I said, what? Because I had no um, interest in it, no identification with it, no investment in it, no desire for it. But the desire that I had was to contribute to the well-being of the American community, and that's why I'd gotten involved in politics. Not because I want to be famous or be a politician. The country is going to hell in a handbasket. And it pisses me off that my generation, my generation presided over this decline, and I don't want to die without trying the best and the hardest that I can to repair the damage that my generation has done and is continuing to do, a la 
Mark Levins. The great one. The, yeah, the semi-great one. <laughs> the yeah. guy who was the chief of staff for Edward Meese. I mean, this, this shit has got to be put out on the table for young people to understand that not all the boomers are fucking corrupt. We're not all corrupt. There's a lot of people that will die to preserve your right to be a father and to make a, a life for your children. Because there was a lot of people that did it for me because the people upstream for me were in those camps and were dying on those beaches in Normandy. Mm. We just need to recover that courage and that love of our country. We have to just take some correction. And I, I'm very upset with people in my age cohort because they're, a lot of them are just dumb. And they're not really intellectually dumb or they're not dumb in the gray matter. They're dumb by choice because they got the cash. The cash is making them dumb because, you know, they, they want, in their mind, they won the game. They're playing a game for the cash. And you know what? That's not going to work. It's about the well-being of all the people. And, you know, I, I want to thank you for giving me the chance to do this with you. Well, wait, but I want you to, to, but before we go, I want you to just give your, your take on Mark Levin from a historical basis, and, and then we'll roll out. But before you do, I want to say, when you and I first met, and we started to have these conversations, they were so good. Not, not just the back and forth, but I enjoy listening to people who you can actually learn from. I've always enjoyed that. I always respected that. That's why I have such a great love and respect for Steve Bannon. It's not just that he's courageous and that he's willing to stand up at a, at a time of need, but that you can actually learn from him, right? And he's authentic enough to learn from. I mean, I could dial up anybody at Fox News and hear what Mark Levin has to say, aside from his constitutional knowledge. I mean, of course, lawyers are going to have a good knowledge of the Constitution. He's, okay, well, should have stood guard on the legal field because the entire thing has become a lawfare cesspool. We see that today. So, you know, I digress. But I respect people that you can learn from or that you can even hear speak authentic enough to think about things differently. Alex Jones being another one. Minister Louis Farrakhan being one. You know, there's a number of people. You know, now we got Russell Brand or, or Jordan Peterson was one. He's, an, he's another one that, that I listened to years back when he first popped on the scene. I'm like, man, this dude at least is willing to say things in his own way, unique enough, his own thoughts where I could actually engage with it. Because right? I'm, I'm kind of a thinker like that. Right? So if you, if you give me fast food, if you give me you know, politics with French fries or religion with French fries, I'm just like, ah. You know, you ain't, you're not really saying anything worthwhile. So you gave me that, and it's good to have somebody who you could talk to, and we talked often. And my only thought was, let me share that with, with the world. Well, I'm not going to covet that, you know. And some of these political people, some of these commentators, you know, they would try and keep a person like you in the background intentionally so they could covet your ideas and fence them as their own and, and have a little, you know, a, a, a sort of, counsel in the background that nobody knows that never even crossed my mind my first thing was you should have a podcast right i mean people should be able to learn from you and access you the same way that i do and if i could do that if i could leave that if i could inspire you to do that it was very generous of you i must say well i mean and you were very generous needed. you were very generous with the fearless crowd and with jason you were being generous and when generosity is met with the bearing of a false witness. I just have to say it was very disappointing for me, and I really, I hope Jason is watching me, 
say, please repent as I will repent for the sins that I commit. And I, I, I do it right in my podcast. Sometimes I'll say, I'm horrifying. And you know what's great? But here's the great thing about podcasting. The ante is up on us putting sin underfoot because we are actually trying to represent a religious ideology and an American ideology to American citizens. And who would we be if we were shit talkers and hypocrites? That's the one thing I do not want to do. Do not want to be a hypocrite. Mm. So if I'm here for the audience and I'm here to encourage the audience, please go be a delegate. Please help us change this country. Now let me tell you why I say that. My life is at risk and the life of my children is at risk. So I need and I ask and I hope for it. I'm not trying to monetize the audience per se. What I'm per se saying is please get involved politically in some way, shape, or form. That's why we have Free People Radio, to seek the truth together, to talk together, to strive together, to have a community together, and to form this political force that can change this country. You're a new generation. Your audience is young. You know what I found out? Mm. The average age of my viewers is 30 years old. I was shocked when I I thought I had a bunch of old boomers. Boomers Mm -hmm. don't want to listen to me at all. Proof of concept. (laughs) Yeah, Our conversations were were uh, uh, were exciting and fruitful to me, and I thought an audience would like that, and people like my that are my age like listening. to I me. was so surprised, and it, you know, a little bit hurt too, because you know I want to talk to my own generation, and they want nothing to do. Your reflection <laughs> like, of their sins, huh? They don't want anything to do with. What's, them, you what's your take on Mark? I mean, who, how do how do you, a person from how does a person from your generation view a Mark Levin or the type? Well, my generation reveres Mark Levin because he's been elevated, but I remember who he was because I've been politically engaged my entire adult life. And I know he was the chief of staff for Edward Edward Meese. And I know the Reagan administration, to me, Reagan is erected within my generation as the lion of conservatism, that he's the great one. He's the great one. Mark Levin is derivative. I didn't like Reagan. He scared the living shit out of me. I thought he was a goofball. And his wife, Nancy, was way worse. Astrology, the whole thing was just way out to lunch for me. He put up all the chips on the bar with the Russians. And it went down okay. Well, that's, you know, when you put off, hey, when you pull your gun out of your holster, it doesn't always come out so good. But I, I never liked, I didn't like the war on drugs. I didn't like the Star Wars thing. I didn't like the, the whole program bothered me. And Levin was in there, and then we had the, the, the culmination of the whole deal was the Iran-Contra affair, which, as far as I'm concerned, Reagan could have been indicted on that deal by his attorney general, Meese, uh, by Edward Meese. Edwin. Edwin Meese. Like, you know, they don't seem to have any problem indicting Donald Trump. Right. No oh, problem. Hey, oh, hey, forget about it. But what was wrong no, they with threw him? They threw Donald Trump under the bus as fast as they possibly could. His own people. I mean, look at all these presidents and all the sins that they've committed from the course. Ray, Nixon didn't get indicted, got pardoned. Okay. Carter was pretty cool when it came to, you know, he, did, he was not very competent, but he wasn't out there breaking the law. Okay, then we went on Reagan eight years. All kinds of crimes and things went on there. Then we had George Bush the senior. Whoa. This guy, I mean, this is the security state taking over the White House. Then we had Tricky Bill. 
Bill Clinton for eight years. This guy was robbing and stealing. The guy's a billionaire. Come on. Then we go right over to the little George Bush, and these guys are coming up with uh, reasons to go to war with Iraq that had nothing to do with reality, right? Oh, weapons of mass destruction. And they're all lying, and we're all sitting there, oh, let's go to war. And that was a scam. Then we had Barack Obama, who portrayed himself as one thing, and he was something completely anti-war, different. Anti-war, anti-war, anti-establishment. And they had the gun deal down in Mexico, and they had this thing. And, and I'm watching all this, and I'm thinking, boy, can I just have a president that will tell the American people the truth? Can I have politicians that just speak honestly? Quit speaking to me like I'm stupid, because I'm not. 